Cinema Oddities, Late Night Movies with Robin Zack. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash, hard, into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't write, no real talent, but I'm pretty. And I can make money off pretty. Tell me I'm pretty, Ben. I'm pretty, right? <laughs> you're, Everybody you're, look at me! <laughs> <laughs> you're very pretty, Rob. Uh, for those in the audience that can't see Rob, he's not pretty. I'm the prettiest. What are you talking about? <laughs> All I thought right. when I whispered you wouldn't be able to hear it. I put my hand over my mouth and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to... Uh, Pump that up in post-editing so everybody can hear it. <laughs> you being mean to me. <laughs> All right. With that being said, uh, this week on Cinemodities, we are continuing on with this long series of chewed up and spit out. And I, I think this is a voice that people are familiar with now. We have none other coming back with us is Ben himself. Thanks for being here, Ben. I have to get her out of me. <laughs> you have to get this podcast out of you. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's been floating around in my stomach. I'm about to throw it up like an eyeball. Um, what's going on, Rob? I'm uh, I'm here in Ohio, same as always, because I can't leave. Oh, that's that's how it do this day and age, right? That's right. We're not even allowed to go outside. Yes, and so we're stuck indoors watching uh, women in the industry, of course, in our chewed up and spit out series. And and I think of all the episodes in this series, this is the one that I have the most to say about the the relation to and the inception of this series but before that of course we have to talk about well once again zach is not here what's he doing at the restaurant this week and i think this is a good one this is a timely one so i'm sure you remember ben uh in the restaurant we have a kids portion it's called sin e modities like chuck e cheeses and mm. something that we haven't brought up which probably you know could have fit well in some of these previous episodes during the the age of the pandemic um we have a a petting zoo of sorts in the sin emodities part of the restaurant but it's not a petting zoo in the sense that you know we have like those fun animals that you'd want to touch like a llama or i don't know a rooster or i don't know what else at, at pettings like maybe a turtle i don't know stingrays i think that counts as a petting aquarium instead our petting zoo is a bacteria farm. So so what this means, of course, if you're having trouble picturing this, is that we basically have rows of Petri dishes where we culture bacteria, and the kids can just go and, like, you know, touch them with their fingers. And there's no wipes, there's no hand sanitizer, it's just a free-for-all. Um, we love this. We, we think this is a, a very important thing for teaching children about germ theory and things like that, and how quickly diseases can spread. Because back when we thought of this, there was no, you know, a pandemic going on, and we didn't have all these people telling us how we should or should not live our lives. But because of this, we've had some parents realize, you know, actual, I don't know, I don't know, attentive parents. I didn't know those existed anymore. But usually they just drop their kids off and they leave. But a few of them apparently have seen their kids in the bacteria farm petting zoo. And they've been trying to clean it up. Like, they've been trying to, like, bring in their own hand sanitizer and bring in their wipes, which defeats the whole concept of a bacteria farm. 
Like, you can't just kill... That's like if you went to a petting zoo and there was, like, two llamas and you just executed both of them. You can't, you can't do that. You, you can't just get rid of an attraction at a petting zoo. So, right now, Zach is standing guard, making sure that these fools stay away from the Sin Emodities Bacteria Farm Petting Zoo, and they don't clean it up. It gets dirtier and dirtier. So that's, that's where Zach is, and hopefully he can stay healthy. Um, I think both of us, when we installed this, we built up a pretty good immunity to all the bacteria we have in there. So we should be good. Uh, and for the audience, uh, you can tell Rob is delusional. We decided last time that Zach has a heroin addiction, <laughs> and that that's why he's not here. Well, um, I, I think he's a, he's a functioning heroin addict. So he's, he's doing the stuff at the restaurant, you know, while Andy, he's... Andy's yeah, yes, exactly. Okay. All right, as long as you're not denying the heroin addiction. <laughs> All right. Well, I am very excited to get into it this week. Of course, as we already said, and as everybody knows, this is going to be our fourth episode in the Chewed Up and Spit Out series. Movies revolving around the theme of the plight of women in the industry... I'm excited to talk about this movie. Well, one, we're back to L.A. That's where we started in Under the Silver Lake, but we took some detours to uh, New York and Las Vegas these last two weeks. We are back in L.A. I'm also very excited to talk about this because this is the movie that made me think of what to call this series, Chewed Up and Spit Out. Because, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen The Neon Demon, a woman literally gets chewed up and spit out. <laughs> That's not exactly accurate. She gets thrown up. Well, you know, you know I, I think that's just a more exacerbated form of spitting. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and for the audience, that's that's where my little bit came from. I have to get her out of me. <laughs> oh yeah, that's such a that's such a great ending. So the even though this movie gave me the the thought of the name of the series. It was actually when I rewatched um, before the series even came to be. When I rewatched Showgirls, the movie we talked about last week, um, when I rewatched that for the first time in a few years, I was really like, "Wow, this this is very similar thematically to the Neon Demon, but in completely different styles." Because Showgirls is very much realistically played. You know, check out our episode last week where we talk about how it's just very you know real world grounded type of thing. And the Neon Demon, even though it's getting at the same idea, you know, the, the rise and fall of a female lead in similar settings in these machinations that the industry has created to make money for men, this movie is much more abstract. And, and I think that that is something I wanted to start with where I really love the juxtaposition between the same idea, one played straight, one played abstractly, because... It shows that, you know, we still have good ways to tell the same story. You know, have you heard that thing, Ben, where they say, like, what, there's only five or six stories you could ever tell, and they just get, yeah. like, reworked? This is where I think the beauty of movie magic comes in, is that there's so much else going on. It's not just a story. It's the visuals. It's the atmosphere. It's the sound. And, and this movie just fires on all cylinders with the experience of it. So I, I did want to mention, uh, watching this movie made me re remember a quote that I've loved ever since I've heard it. It comes from David Reese, a journalist, and he said, all the, all the good movies, and I think he was speaking opinion, uh, he, he was speaking subjectively for himself, but he said, all the good movies are either puzzles or dreams. And I really like that idea because I've always thought, you know, 
it's un- and it's an- that thought I think is an extension of how I've always thought. You know, there's some movies that are just experiences that they they kind of just take you in and you're along for the ride, and that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But in the idea of puzzles versus dreams, I wanted to start here, Ben, in this abstract sense because I think perfectly. The last time you were on Under the Silver Lake, that was a puzzle. That was just a through and through puzzle for us and the main characters. Where Neon Demon is a dream. It is this atmospheric experience. What are your thoughts on that? So I would need a little more context on the quote, but I I think that, I mean, dream has multiple meanings. One of them being the thing you experience whenever your brain tells you some kind of story while you're asleep. Sure. Uh, The other one, another one being a goal that you wish to attain. Maybe he was definitely um, using it in the sense of like um, like a like a sleeping dream, like a fantasy, okay. like a, this ethereal experience type of thing. Well, and the reason I bring that up though is, is I, I imagined you know when you first said it that's that's what was probably meant, but I think that the statement still rings true if you if you insert in the other definition. And the reason I believe that is that for for the individual, whatever their dream is, would make a good movie. That would be something oh. they would be interested in seeing. Um, and so, uh, anyway, and now as, as far as, as what this movie is, um, I would definitely say it has some dreamlike qualities to it. Mm-hmm. It it kind of jumps around a little bit. There there are some parts that, like, straight up don't make sense and probably didn't actually happen. Oh, like and when Keanu Reeves does a bad thing with a knife? <laughs> yes, yes. Granted, he may have actually done a bad thing to the person next door, but I don't know if that's true. Or not either, but, uh, but yeah, I, I I could see some dreamlike qualities to it. Um, even some of the colors were were like it was it was very vibrant. Oh yeah, at times. Um, so yeah, I, I would I would go as far as say even, even some of the the way things looked were dreamlike. Definitely, um, definitely. A lot of the um, you know the, the the slow motion stuff, the the more you know um, abstract scenes, definitely dreamlike. You know, probably my favorite scene in the movie is when, you know, Elle, Elle Fanning has that transition at the runway show, and she's, like, you know, in that, that three-way mirror, and she's, like, kissing the reflections of herself, and, it, and the colors switches from blue to just bathed in this red, and you just, like, know that something has happened, and it's just, like, you're just, you're just feeling it. Oh, I love that stuff. The, there's a, a credit to the actress for that particular scene. She very much goes from, like, this naive, not at all prepared for the world she's in, girl to a maybe kind of vicious woman in this scene yes yes uh and she her face tells it all and there's there's no i mean all there is 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 color and facial expression and granted i mean the color does a lot of work but her facial expression is is on point uh if that's the transformation that they were trying to describe to me oh yeah yeah i i love that scene okay okay so we I've, as as Ben and I, Sorry. no, it's all good. As Ben and I are uh, want to do, we can just tangentize everything and just buckshot this. But of course, I guess um, uh, at the top top line item, of course, I always have to ask Ben because I think it's been everything, every movie we've talked about. Uh, you have not seen or heard of this prior to this uh, recording, right, or this podcast? That is correct. It turns out I've never seen any movie. <laughs> Wait, wait until later this year where Ben actually talks about the movies he has seen, and it involves muscles. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair way to put it. No muscles as in I said, this movie. <laughs> as I said, 
dreams. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, so I guess I want to ask you, Ben, um, uh, what'd you think uh, overall? Your your general thoughts on something you know that is definitely you know stylistically and uh, just wholly different from the two others we've discussed, Huckabee's and Under the Silver Lake. What were your thoughts, uh, Rob? I think this is going to be a first for our tenure as as uh, you know recording this podcast together. Oh, I did not like this movie. Ah, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> I, I suspect we're going to disagree about this since you did pick this movie. I assume that maybe you do like it. I, while there are aspects of the movie that I thought were really well done and sure. it was very artistic, I thought that it was horribly boring to watch. <laughs> I was kind of expecting something like that. It is a very, very slow burn of a movie, and it's not even like slow burn. In, uh, I know that was a big thing LaShawn and I talked about back earlier this month with Black Swan, but it's a slow burn, and then you get, like, the last 40 minutes of Black Swan where shit is just going crazy. This is, like, a slow burn until the last 10 to 15 minutes of a two-hour movie. Definitely. The, the last 10 to 15 minutes is probably where all of the credible, or not credible, all of the remarkable things happen. And by remarkable, I don't mean amazing. I mean things that you could remark about. about <laughs> things, you, things you could have something to say about. No, that's not entirely true. But, uh, it, but yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would say definitely most of this movie happens in the last 10 to 15 minutes. Yes. And, and that's, that's a hard sell for a movie that's two hours long. Okay, okay. So I, I kind of expected something like this from you. Um, definitely when I was re-watching it for this recording, I was like, Mm, yeah, I don't. I, I was like, I'm gonna be. It's gonna be interesting to see how much Ben has to say about a lot of this in like a positive light. But no, <laughs> I think this is good. We're finally getting something we're split on, and that's gonna give a different um, air to this conversation, which is a good well, thing. And and I mean, we're we're gonna touch kind of on something that you and I have talked about privately in the past, which is that despite ha- not liking this movie, I do have some positive things to say about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just just because uh, you dislike something doesn't mean that you, you need to like eradicate it <laughs> no it's it's not i don't think the movie is objectively bad i just didn't like it yes you needed some more muscles you know <laughs> i did i needed some sweaty muscles in the jungle <laughs> you, needed, which... you needed the rock to bust in during a photo shoot <laughs> <laughs> oh what if, what if instead of the mountain lion in her hotel room it's the rock and he just has like guns and shit, and they go. It becomes the Expendables for the last ninety <laughs> minutes of the movie. That would have been acceptable. <laughs> uh, it definitely would have derailed the movie, though, because I don't think Keanu Reeves could have gotten rid of the Rock with a bat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So, okay, okay. So we're definitely going to come at this. You are correct, Ben. We're coming at this from different perspectives. I thoroughly enjoy this movie. I don't. I don't know if I would say I love it. But I I am a sucker for slow burn movies where it's all just cerebral and I'm just thinking about like every little detail because the movie gives you time to think about every little detail and I am I am all on board with this movie. So I do I do want to mention that this this was pitched. We were thinking about discussing this uh, last October in our Monstober series. Um, Zach wanted to talk about it and so I watched it for the first time last year. And I was like, this is a great movie, but this movie in no way, shape, or form makes me think of Halloween or the Halloween aesthetic. So I was like, this does not fit Monstober. This will work somewhere else. And so we, we were almost uh, – one half of Cinematis wanted to do it, but then once 
chewed up and spit out came around, I was like, this is this is perfect. This is a female in Hollywood going through this, you know, kind of abstract setting of, of beauty, not being, you know, something that matters, the only thing that matters. And I, I just knew we had to discuss it. It so, isn't everything. It's the only thing. <laughs> yes, yes. So, Which is normally said about winning, but... Mm, true, true. Beauty. So I, I definitely... Before we talk about the some of the specific things in the movie, I I did want to talk about um, the the style of this movie and specifically the director. So of course, uh, the Neon Demon is the the third kind of big film. It's not his third film overall, but I think it's his third American film, uh, at least you know from an American studio um, by Nicholas Winding Refn. And so he's a Danish filmmaker. He did a bunch of stuff back in you know the Netherlands where. I think he got famous for the Pusher movies, which I've never seen, but there's like a trilogy of them. Um, I know he did something with Tom Hardy where he's a boxer, which I've never seen, but that got some acclaim. But his big breakout and the thing that everybody like loved him for was none other than Drive with Ryan Gosling. And that was like his breakout hit. Have you ever seen Drive, Ben? Did you know that a Gosling is a baby goose? Yes. So <laughs> Ryan, are we going to call him Ryan Baby Goose from now on? <laughs> Uh, I I really hope that this movie is about a goose driving. <laughs> so so you haven't seen it, I take it. No. Okay, no, so so um it's it's very similar in the sense that it is a slow burn movie. Um it, there's very little dialogue, um but it it's like it's it's a very good movie. I think uh you would like it a little more than this because it it is about like a driver. Ryan Gosling plays the driver. Like, he doesn't have a name, he's just credited as the driver, and he's just basically a getaway driver for hire. And he gets uh, he gets wrapped up in some, like, shady deals, deals go wrong, things like that, and he has to kind of, you know, get revenge on um, the, the mob bosses that set him up for failure type of thing. Um, but it is very noir. It's very, it's very similar in style. Um, the colors, not many colors, it's a lot more of the lighting. Um, I, I really like that movie. One of the funniest things, like, even though I love that movie in all its seriousness, it's really hilarious every time I watch it because the opening scene is, like, Ryan Gosling in his apartment, and it's all dark, and he's, like, on the phone with people who are hiring him, and he has this monologue where he's like, you know, I'll pick you up here, and then, you know, from the moment you get in the car, he's like, you have something like nine minutes, that's all you get. Like, I'll take you there, you do the job, you get out, and it's like nine minutes. If you're, if you're late, I'm going to leave. If you're late, all that stuff. And he does this like, really badass monologue, and then the whole opening scene is him driving and like doing all these, you know, not stunts. Like, it's not like uh, John Wick where there's car foo, as they call it, where he's whipping cars into people and shooting in every direction. It's just actually like clever driving to escape police. And he's like using like when the like a like a basketball game's gonna get out to blend into the traffic and and it's revealed that he's like rented the most popular car in LA to blend in with things and it's very clever. But there's no dialogue from him. After that opening monologue, it takes like twenty to twenty-five minutes for him to have another line of dialogue. And it's when he helps his neighbor take her groceries up to her apartment. Like, she's having trouble because she's, like, a single mother with a kid type of thing. And he, like, oh, picks man, up that's... some of her groceries, and he goes into her apartment. And after this badass dialogue, he's just stoic and badass for 20 minutes. And then the next line of dialogue he says is, where do you want me to put your groceries? And I, I find it hilarious every time I watch it. For some reason, that gets me every single time where he has no nothing to say. Badass all the way. And then, where should I put your groceries? <laughs> 
Is that does that is that a trope? Like badass guy lives in an apartment near single mom, and then they oh. interact for some reason. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a very like it's noir trope like, where it's like you know this sing, loner sing has him. to get involved with somebody somehow, and it's usually by proximity and eye contact. <laughs> well, and like, isn't the, like it's almost always the case that the kids getting bullied and the badass is like break their fucking legs or whatever <laughs> sure yeah something like that yep uh, okay so, so no i've not seen drive okay. it sounds awful i i don't like to not have dialogue i i can't no not that, okay that's fair i think i think uh the uh um brian cranston is in drive and he has like an insane amount of dialogue like it's it's the okay. juxtaposition because he's like the, the the body shop owner that like supplies ryan gosling with cars and ryan gosling like barely talks and then brian cranston is just like constantly talking and it's a very interesting juxtaposition um but yeah i i would say check it out but i'm sure there's things that are on your list and that i would put on your list earlier than drive um because maybe you just don't like this guy's style but this is very clearly, like, his style. These are the types of movies he makes. Nicholas Winding Refn. I've never seen... So after Drive and before Neon Demon, he did something called Only God Forgives. And I've never seen that. But I, I have a copy of it. I just haven't watched it yet. And I was thinking about... I was trying to get to it before this, but I didn't. Um, so I'll have to check that out soon. Um, I think that's more of an action kind of thriller. It, it is. That that movie actually caught my attention. Um, oh, okay. I I want to say I've seen it. Or I tried to watch it. It's something like Ryan Gosling, his brother gets killed in, like, Bangkok or, or Taiwan or something, and he goes on revenge spree yeah. to get them. Um, so, yeah, I, I've checked that out. But um, if it's anything like Drive a Neon Demon, I I would love – I love his style, uh, Refn's style, with the, you know, the, the, the grandiose, just taking his time, letting the atmosphere set in, and all that stuff. So I do want to mention something that I – I really like about um, Nicholas Winding Refn is not only his style when he creates the movie, but how he is on set. So I don't know if Ben is aware of this, but he, he is his kind of shtick is that whenever he's directing and he wants to, you know, start, he won't say action, which is, of course, like the thing everybody knows. Director says action um, for all of the scenes for drive. Instead of action, he would say, let's fuck. And for every scene before the neon demon, he would scream, violence, motherfuckers. Seriously, he's, he, this, is, this is what, he, he's been on interview saying this, and I think it's even in the commentary for Neon Demon, but can you imagine, like, they're shooting that scene in the beginning where the four women are in the restroom, and they're talking about, like, what color their, or what name their lipstick would be, and right before that scene, this just Danish dude is like, violence, motherfuckers! <laughs> <laughs> That seems appropriate for Only God Forgives, but not really for the Neon Demon. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's so weird. Like, Let's Fuck seems more appropriate for the Neon Demon. Exactly. I, I did some research. I was like, did they switch these? And nope. Like, they, they, he was violence motherfuckers for this movie. All right. So, so yes, he, he's a very interesting filmmaker. Um, he has a definitely unique style, and it, it manifests itself different ways in different movies. This, of course, being his most recent, the... The budget of this movie was only $7 million, so relatively small, but it made $3.4 million, so it lost some money. We, we do a lot, of, a lot of movies that lose money on Cinemodities. <laughs> so, that doesn't surprise me for this one. Exactly. 
this, of course, you know, I think is a has been a very polarizing movie, and I do want to talk about some of the the critical reviews and things like that a little later on. But I I found it really interesting when I was reading about his motivation for this movie, because you know his two big movies before this were Drive and Only God Forgives, and even the Pusher movies. They're all very action based. They're all very male driven. And it was kind of like, well, you know, how did he get this idea for, you know, a female lead, um, you know, really making it about the modeling industry and things like that. And I found that his motivation was he was really interested in making a horror film, but kind of in the sense of an adult fairy tale about beauty. And, I, and that's what this is, I would say. It's definitely kind of got that fairy tale aspect to it, um, you know. And when I read that, I thought of stuff like, you know, those old school you know, like uh, the, the Grimm's fairy tales of stuff like, you know, remember like the princess and the pea? And it was like, right. and, and uh, you know, Sleeping Beauty, uh, the ugly duckling. It's like this, this notion of beauty has just pervaded fairy tales for so long that I liked his kind of creative drive to be like a modern update of this. And so I thought that was pretty neat. And I think after I read that, I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of what this is. You know, I never really would have thought of it as uh, a fairy tale, but it does have some of those elements for sure. Yeah, it, do, it doesn't strike me as fairy tale other than, I guess there are some fairy tales where people get eaten. Yeah, that's the so, other thing. Like you know, yeah, uh, yeah. like cannibalism does seem to be like a, a big thing in old school fairy tales. Um, Hansel and Gretel. I'm sure there's a bunch. You know, that's probably the most famous one. Do the kid? No, the witch gets eaten at the end of that. I don't know. Who knows? I think that there's a big she, switch. The in witch f- is trying to eat people. Yes. I yeah. I think there's a. I think I've looked into it before. There's a big switch in fairy tales of like how we know them and how they were originally written, and they used to be a lot darker or something like that. Right. Um, but I, I really like that motivation. Uh, the other motivation for this, which I thought was interesting, was that, um, so since Only God Forgives was filmed in Asia, when uh, Nicholas Winding Refn was looking to, uh, thinking about his next movie and where he would go to film it, his wife was basically like, I don't want to go back to Asia. Apparently she did not have a good time in Asia, and he was like, where, well, he's like, well, if we left, you know, Copenhagen, where would we go? And she's like, I want to go to L.A. I've never been to L.A. <laughs> okay. And so they went to L.A. and they made this movie. <laughs> Interesting. So, is, uh, she, is she racist? She hates Asia? Um, I don't I, I think we can she, say that. <laughs> she, <laughs> we, we can conclude without knowing her at all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she was accidentally or on purpose racist. Conclusive <laughs> evidence right there. Um, So the other thing uh, that uh, struck me about this movie is um, it doesn't happen a lot, and I think sometimes I don't even look into it, um, but this movie was shot in sequence. So they shot it in the order that it appears in the film. And that's always interesting to me because, you know, that's that's always a good um, way to get your some real stuff from your actors, and they know exactly what they're going for. And um, I think it works well for this movie. So... I, I think the only other thing I have is uh, the the one of the things I read about critics, because like I said, this is a polarizing movie. We are, you know, two data points to uh, show that off. <laughs> but even from the critics, they were polarized. And uh, some people, you know, called it a masterpiece. Some people called it, you know, just nonsense. But one of the things that I found a lot of the critics, you know, whether or not they hated it completely or found some redeeming qualities... It seemed like the detractors of this movie, their biggest complaint was that the characters were thinly written. What do you think about that? Just hearing that right off the bat, like there's not a lot of character development. 
you know, aside from, we do get it from our elf fanning, you know, Jesse, the main arc of the movie. Yeah. But, but kind of as our characters as a whole, they were getting at that they were underwritten. Elle Fanning might be the only character that's written at all. It's it's not clear to me that any that any thought was put into backstories, if you will, of these characters. Sure, um, sure. I who, mean, yeah, who uh, they are, how they got to where they are. I don't. I, I guess I don't know enough about movie making to know if that's if that's common or not. But I know that to to write like the most compelling story you can, it helps if every person is real to some degree. Sure. Uh, having their own life and therefore their own motivations. Whereas the motivations that existed in this movie were very, uh, what's the word I want to use here? Like they, they, like each character had like one motivation, I guess. Sure. One dimensional. Yeah. Yeah. One dimensional. Yeah. That's, that's the way I say it. Um, and so, yeah, sure. The characters were pretty flat. I, I could definitely agree with that. Um, but I kind of felt like that was intentional. There you go. That that is. I agree with everything you said. I definitely think the characters are thinly written. Like even take our our biggest secondary character. I would say is Jenna Malone, Ruby, mm-hmm. and it's like she's just this random girl, and she's a random girl for the most of the movie. And then she's like, "Hey, I want to help you out if you're ever in trouble." And she has that one scene. And then there's one scene where she's like, "Oh, you know, I walked into a morgue and started doing makeup, so I also work as a morgue, uh, like as a, a, a cadaver uh, makeup artist." And it's like. That's all we get, you know? That's all yeah. her characters. And even the other models, um, uh, Bella Heathcote and Abby Lee, they're just, like, models, you know? Right. One, of them, one of them is the bionic woman, which we'll have to talk about how much she loves that. She's gotten work done. And the other one's just model girl. And, right. And I definitely agree with that, that thought, and I think we're both in agreement from what you said. These characters are one-dimensional. They're thinly written. And even Jessie, even though we focus on her a lot, She's just, you know, she has one goal, and that's what she's working towards. But I'm so glad you said it, because I definitely think that's intentional. That's the point of this movie. It's all about superficial beauty. So why should our characters be anything but superficial? Definitely. And I I get, like, the the vapid Hollywood, like, these characters, you know, I I mean, you said it really well. I don't don't even need to repeat it. They're superficial. Everything about it is superficial. And I feel like it's supposed to parallel... The idea that the whole modeling industry and maybe even all of Hollywood as a whole is a superficial, superficial, like vapid landscape. Um, So honestly, I I would say if anything that adds to the quality of the movie. Yes. As far as as the message is concerned that it is trying to deliver. Yeah, I, I love that aspect of it, you know, because it's literally every character like uh, the boyfriend photographer. He just wants to have sex with Jesse and maybe be a good photographer. He, he <laughs> is a little bit interested in white knighting. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. He wants to be the good guy in, yeah. this, in this sea, yeah, and a sea of, you know, industry. Keanu Reeves just wants money, it seems. The, uh, the, uh, the photographer is just a photographer. Yeah. Um, the, the designer is just a designer who picks girls for his modeling thing. It's like every single character is just like one point and they just that's all we need could you imagine this movie would like i think it might make things more interesting in an actual like you know watching sense maybe for you ben there might be something to latch on to but i think the movie would have ground to an even worse halt if there was like a background story of keanu reeves like how is he the motel manager like a background on ruby as jenna malone it's like we don't need any of that 
That's that's not the point of this movie. Well, it, it does it does occur to me that perhaps the reason I didn't enjoy watching it so much is that I do look for some kind of human connection in my characters. Mm-hmm. I do look for them to be relatable in some way. And these people are flat out not relatable. They don't Definitely. have the, the the one dimension they have is not one I share with them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. So so absolutely. I mean, I, I, I would probably enjoy the movie more if the one dimension they had did line up with me in some way. Um, like wanting to indiscriminately murder people who killed my brother. Uh, so perhaps only God forgives is maybe more up my alley. Yeah, no, um, that's, a, that's a fair point. So, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, like I said, I, it, it didn't feel out of place. It just didn't connect me to the movie. Um, mm-hmm. and it, it didn't feel, it didn't feel lazy. Uh, it, it felt like a choice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, that, that's where I, I think that the, the dreamlike aspect for me comes into it because, you know, in that, that one of those first scenes where they go to that party you know, even even the even the way that things are described between our characters, where you know, after the opening scene of the photo shoot with Elle Fanning, she meets Jenna Malone, and Jenna Malone is like helping her wipe the the fake blood off from the photo shoot, and then she's like, "Where do, do you want to go to a party?" And Elle Fanning says, "What kind of party?" And she goes, "The fun kind," and then it just cuts to the party. Hey, you want to go somewhere? Where? A party? What kind of party? The fun kind? Like, like there is no, there's so little detail given in every aspect of the characters to us and between each other. I, I do want to ask about that blood thing. Why was Jesse so bad at removing fake blood from her own body, but Ruby was so good at it? <laughs> yes, I, I thought the same thing, where Elle Fanning is just like, I don't know. She's having like motor problem, motor <laughs> skills problems, where she's just like, like a little bit it's, each time. <laughs> it's it's as if it's as if Jesse was using like tissue that you would use to blow your nose, and Ruby came in with like a fucking like a towel. Yeah, like bounty, like, this the is, quicker picker up. Yeah, yeah it was, <laughs> it's like, what? Wh- why was this so hard for her? Yes, I've de- I've definitely thought about that, and um, yeah, I I don't know um, it. It could I could rationalize it as like she's still very naive in this industry, sure. but it's it's just such a it's such a weird touch where uh, it, I it, mean it, it could it, it could go to her not having any talents, which is sure <laughs> she can't even wipe stuff off of herself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she has to learn that. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I I was I, I that definitely caught my attention as well. It would be genius if it was if it was actually some kind of like message, but it's so hard to tell if it was. Yeah, I I definitely see that little detail as since it it stood out to me, and now it, since it stood out to you, it definitely I definitely think that that's like the direction was okay. This is the scene where you two are meeting. Like Jenna Malone needs to get out these lines of dialogue, so just take off your makeup slowly. And it's just like we need this scene to last a certain amount of time because it just it seems so out of place where, yes, you can rationalize it. But it just since it catches your eye, it's so conscious. It's just like, what the hell is going on? Well, and, you know, at first I'm like, oh, this shit looks like it's really hard to remove. Like that sucks (laughs) that she's covered in this. Also, why didn't she just go take a shower immediately instead of trying to wipe it off? Yeah. And then, bam, Ruby's like. 
actually it's really easy to remove. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is why I do the makeup, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that that's actually the a, a level of depth that we get for Ruby that we we're taking for granted. It's like sure. Ruby is that good at makeup. <laughs> She's just, she's the extraordinaire, definitely. So, so that actually does, you know, now you got me thinking, like, why is Ruby involved in this amateur photo shoot to begin with? Mm, so, so I, I kind of took it as, um, I don't, I don't know really if she, if she was involved with that amateur photo shoot. I've kind of just thought of it as this dude who's an amateur has like rented this studio to do his shoot and there's other stuff going on and she was involved with something else going on in one of the. One of the that, lo- lofts or something like that. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, uh, because when in that scene, it's like they, it's the first time they've ever met. And I would imagine if she was involved, then she would have been like, she would have put the makeup on and stuff. On. Oh, yeah. that's a fair point. So, all right. I, I do have a question, though, about the photo shoot itself. So, like, we kind of, I think it's maybe the opening of the movie. Yes. Like, we just see this, like, she's just, like, laying there covered in blood, looking like she's dead. Yes. Uh, and for the audience who can't see, I just did, like, a perfect impersonation of her. <laughs> Um, he even threw red Gatorade on himself <laughs> to illustrate the blood. So I'm curious what made a 16-year-old girl think it was a good idea to hang out with somebody who wanted to photograph her as if her neck was slit. Yes, that's a good question. Like, is is it just the na- naivete of her character? Because like, that screams to me like this guy is on the verge of becoming a serial killer, and this is how he's currently stopping himself from committing murder. Especially in that opening scene before we know anything about the characters, when they show that it's a photo shoot and the dude looks like he's a serial killer. Definitely. And, like he looks like uh, – like the first time I watched this, I was like, okay, is, is this the bad guy? Is this the end <laughs> of the movie? Like are we doing like – we're going to do a flashback thing or something? Right. And but no, yeah, and even that's I think you know exacerbated later when she uh, Elle Fanning meets with um, Christina Hendricks, who's with the agency, and she's like, "Who took these photos? A boyfriend?" And she's like, "Not really, just someone I met on Craigslist." And I'm like, "Craigslist? Yeah." And he wants you to look like you're murdered. <laughs> <laughs> so, did, is it just me or did he look almost identical to John Leguizamo when it was showing him in the, like, serial killer lighting. He, he definitely had that, that style, for sure, yeah. I was just like, John Leguizamo's in this? <laughs> <laughs> and then, so, and then, of course, we find out it's not John Leguizamo, but then Keanu Reeves was in it, and I had this same reaction. I was like, Keanu Reeves is in this? <laughs> right on. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, great. I think uh, they use Keanu Reeves really well in this movie. Because, you know, Keanu Reeves definitely has a shtick. I've never considered him as, like... To me, he's like a Nicolas Cage. Like, he does the same thing in a lot of movies. And he, he's yeah. he's just Keanu Reeves. And this movie, he's used sparingly enough where it's just like, wow, he's Keanu Reeves, but I really hate him this time. <laughs> <laughs> so, something that's kind of funny. Um, during the whole Me Too thing, one of, the th- one of the things that was, like, brought out is there are pictures of Keanu Reeves... Where he's uh, doing what they call hover handing. Oh yeah, right? I've seen those. Yep. Yeah, he's he's for the audience. That's where he like has his arm as if it's around the person that he's taking a picture with, but his hand is not touching them. Yes. So his hand is just floating, you know, next to their shoulder. They call it hover handing. Um, and so Keanu Reeves very much was like, I'm not going to be involved in any kind of misunderstanding. Um, I ain't touching no one. <laughs> especially regarding underage women. And then in this movie, he's like, "There's a 13 year old in room 214." That you could probably fuck if you wanted. Yeah. <laughs> She's a runaway from Ohio. Room 214, gotta be seen. 
Some real Lolita shit. Oh, yeah. Take a peek in room 214 if you get a chance. Rented this week to a girl from Sandusky, Ohio. Runaway. 13 years old. Real Lolita shit. Real Lolita shit. Room 214. Gotta be seen. So that was that was very un Keanu Reeves of Keanu Reeves in this movie. Oh uh, yeah, this this um this whole series has led to a lot of cringeworthy moments. You know, there's um, Black Swan. We talked a lot about the the like the body horror that was making us cringe. Uh, Showgirls has like even though it's only like twenty to twenty five seconds, it is the most uncomfortable rape scene to like I've ever seen in any movie. And then this when. The the two scenes near the end, one of them we'll have to talk about the corpse in the morgue. But the Keanu Reeves with the knife in the mouth, I'm like sitting here and I'm like, no, don't do it, Keanu, don't do that. And he's like, wider, wider, wider. and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> that, <laughs> that makes so, me so uncomfortable. Definitely, the whole time I was like, that's fucked. Like that's some phallic impotence shit. Yep. But then it's also a knife. So it's like, you better not gag, because you're going to cut yourself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. That that just skis me so much, yeah. Well, then, like, the knife, like, I just automatically imagine, like, the knife blade going between the teeth, and it's like, ah, fuck, fuck everything. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that, when, when I, even though I've seen this a few times now, every time I see that scene, I'm just like, it, 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 it's, a, it's a testament to the movie because I know it's a movie and I know the reactions are controlled, but I'm, like, putting myself in Elle Fanning's shoes. And if I woke up, I don't think I would just, like, very calmly open my eyes and gasp a little bit. Like, I would probably jerk and end up destroying my face. <laughs> and that's what gets me. Oh, God. If, if not just, like, sitting straight up and, like, getting stabbed, like, right <laughs> through the back of your head. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine if that happened, like in the movie that happens, and Keanu Reeves is just like, "Damn it, that's no fun." <laughs> do, you, do would they have to call that a suicide by attempted rapist, or would that be murder? Oh. <laughs> now that's that's what they got to get on Law and Order SVU. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah. So so Keanu Reeves is is good in this movie because they use him sparingly, and he's so evil, and it's he. I like him. So I do. I do want to talk about. Elle Fanning, since she's the lead character in this movie, I do have to say, and this is gonna this is gonna sound great for the chewed up and spit out series, which uh, so far has had one, two, three, four, four males on and one female. So you know, keeping it equal. I don't like Elle Fanning. She annoys me, and this is the part that's gonna sound great. I think it's because of her nose. I don't like her face, and I think it's because of her nose. I've never really liked her in anything I've seen her in. What, do you have any thoughts on Elle Fanning? Uh, so she was cast as somebody who is widely hated because of how pretty she's supposed to be. Yes. And she is not pretty, is, <laughs> is the, the way I felt about it. I was like, they cast the wrong person for this. Um, she is young. I will give her that. Yep. Uh, but that is a matter of time. I think she was. I think she was seventeen when they made this yep, movie. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah. I, her 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 nose is part of it. Her general face makes me think like derpy. Not. Oh, okay, okay. Not attractive. Um, that being said, I don't. I don't know that I'm like generally annoyed by her. 
I I thought, like I said, you know, I mentioned that one what at one point where she does the the facial expression change and she goes from like yes, like looking like she's gonna cry all the time to <laughs> to, to being like a badass bitch and like so. I mean, I thought that was pretty well done. Um, definitely. I, yeah. So I wouldn't say that she annoyed me, but I definitely was like, why'd they pick her for like? The pretty girl. Yeah, uh, I, I, think... I judge myself for saying it, but I still, I still said it. So, so I, <laughs> I definitely think that I agree with you in that sense that you know she, she isn't what I think a lot of people, both of us and a lot of people would expect. If you need like that, that like drop dead gorgeous bombshell, like that's going to turn all those heads. I think that's where it, it doesn't work in the movie. But everything else, I think she. This is the her best performance I've ever seen her in. Cause she plays, like you said, that scene where she transitions from like the, the timid, naive girl into this narcissistic, like accepting or knowing of her beauty. She plays all that great. Like, I love how she is just a little girl for the first half of the movie. And, and I think she plays it fantastically. Even in like the first scenes with her, it's not only that she's timid and naive, it's that she just lets the world wash over her. Like, she mm-hmm. just lets things happen to her. And I, yeah. I love that first scene in the bathroom when they're all, like, all the girls are just, like, prodding at her with their, their experience. And there's stuff like, it's, it's like, who are you fucking? Like, that's what she's asking, right? Who, who can you fuck? Yeah, yeah, who's she fucking? Who could she fuck? How high right. could she climb? And is it higher than me? You must have a boyfriend. All she really wants to know is, who are you fucking? Sorry? What? Isn't that what everyone wants to know? Pretty new girl walks into a room, everyone's head turns, looks her up and down, wondering, who's she fucking? Who could she fuck? And how high can she climb? And is it higher than me? I don't... I don't know. I just got to town, so I don't know anybody here. Right. But you've slept with men before. You do sleep with men, don't you? All the time. And Elle Fanning's just like, um... And then one of the women is like, we want to know, are you seeing anybody? You've you've had sex before. You, You do sleep with men, don't you? And there's a pause, and Elle Fanning's like, all the all time, the time. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so it's so timid and it's so like she's just going along with all these things that she's put into in place and that's where she excels in this movie but i we're definitely in agreement that it's just like she is just so strange to me <laughs> she she's a weird she reminds me of that greta thunberg girl a little mm, bit mm-hmm uh, or Thunberg, however you pronounce that. I'm oh, not God, from wherever they are. So. so we we actually have a thing on this podcast. I think this might be the first time it's come up while you're on here. We will pronounce people's names any way we choose to until they come on this podcast and correct us. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, so Greta, Greta Thorberg. <laughs> yes. Because I, I, we Zach and I hate when we like we'll be talking about somebody and they'll correct us on their name pronunciation. And I know Ben subscribes to this. Bitch, you know what I'm talking about. So why are we wasting time? <laughs> and so we just we we will only take it straight from the source if they come on this podcast and tell us about it. 
So Greta, get at us. We know you listen to this. <laughs> Who was the the guy that? Oh fuck, Carthor Carthiodori man, Gusashvili. He oh, was just like, oh. he was like that name's misspelled. Oh, we uh, like, for for Ch- Chabushev, Chabushev or Chebichevs, Ch- yeah, Ch- yeah. And and I was just like, you realize that in the original language they don't even have this alphabet, right? Yes, yeah. This guy's name was originally spelt in a different alphabet, so there is no proper translation. I think it was Tikhonov, actually. Oh, okay. It could have been any any any, any famous theorem. Any or double F name translated from Russian, because they all do that. Anyway, yes. sorry, audience, for, for that. But there was a guy who, like, spent, I don't know, 20 minutes of a class trying to explain to us why this man's name translated from Russian to English was misspelled. Yes, yes. And, uh, and as a statistician, I now just approve of... Uh, Chubbychev's inequality being a special case of Markov's inequality, and there's no arguing about Markov. <laughs> so screw him. <laughs> Was it uh, Chevy Chase's inequality? Yes, yes, Chevy Chase's inequality. That's what we called it. I, I knew you'd like that, Ben, that we, we only take it from the source how to pronounce people's names. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You want to tell me how to pronounce it? Gotta come on here. Gotta come talk about me, a movie. Bro. <laughs> Come at me, and we're not going to talk about a movie you're in either. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Probably. All I don't right. know if I have the ability to make that rule, but I'm set. No, I, I like I like that. That uh, that gets approval for me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. If anything, we'll do a movie that they were like trying out for and didn't get the part just to rub it in. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds like it needs to be a section in the restaurant. <laughs> I'm not sure how yet, but we'll get there. Okay. Okay. So, so Elle Fanning in this movie, like I said, I think it's her best performance. She's been in a bunch of other things. She's been around for a while. She was like a kid actor. You know, one of her first performances was in 2003 in Daddy Daycare, where she was like a little kid. And Is she related to Dakota Fanning? Yeah, they're sisters. Oh, they do look similar. Yeah, yep, yep. And okay. so um, she, she's been in a bunch of stuff. I, I, she, she's been in stuff that I've seen, and I didn't really know it was her. Um, when I was like looking through her filmography, I was like, oh yeah, I guess I remember she was the girl from Super 8, which is a terrible movie. She was in like The Curious Case of Benjamin Button as one of the, the younger versions of someone, because that movie takes place over so much time. Um, but I was actually looking through her filmography, Ben, and the third movie she was ever in, this is a complete inside joke between Ben and I, so who knows if the audience is going to care. Her third movie ever was a 2004 film titled The Door in the Floor. Seriously. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, once I, I've never heard of this movie. I, I checked it out. I read the plot. Um, we, uh, we, I guess for the, the slight backstory, uh, there's a story idea that I had that Ben and I have fleshed out, uh, which is, the, like, I think the working title is The Door in the Floor, because there's a door in the floor. This movie has nothing to do with our idea for the story, so we're good. <laughs> okay, okay. No, no uh, I don't. I don't want to spoil anything, so I won't, I won't even make any references. Yes, but I, I saw that and I was like, oh my god, the stars are aligning. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So yeah, Elle, Elle Fanning, uh, she's fine in this movie, but I'm glad we're agreeing she's weird. Um, and then, like we said, all the other characters are so one-dimensional. I think this, the only secondary character we have is Jenna Malone. 
Yep. Like, she's the only one that does something else. The boyfriend's just kind of there. Keanu Reeves is just kind of there. Yeah. Um, and then the other models are just... Well, I, I guess I did say I want to talk about the bionic woman. The, oh, yeah. The way that well, she... Yeah, go for it. I, I So I actually do have one comment. Do you remember... Uh, there's some, some like, feminism test where it's like if there's two women on screen and they don't talk about a man for oh, a certain amount yeah, of time? Yeah, the, uh, the Bechdel test. Uh, yeah, so I think this movie passes because... Three women sit in a restaurant and talk about being pretty. Yep. But not for the sake of getting a man. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that this movie is feminist. Definitely. Or something. Or something. Definitely. This is a women's rights movie if I've ever seen it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, the bionic woman. She, uh, she had a nose job. And she had her boobs reduced. She had her ears pinned, I think she says her at one ears point. Pinned so she can wear a ponytail. Yes. I, oh, God. I, I didn't even write down every all the work she says she has done. But I love that so unabashedly she just wants to talk about that all the time. Like, he what calls me the bionic woman. <laughs> yeah, and then Elle Fanning's like, is that a compliment? <laughs> <laughs> she seems pretty upset about that. Yeah, because I think she comes back where she her like demeanor changes, and then she's like, "I heard your parents are dead. That must be yeah. really hard for you." You had work done. <laughs> you say that like it's a bad thing. Sweet plastics is just good grooming. Imagine going a year without brushing your teeth. I go to this guy in Beverly Hills, Andrew, Doctor Andrew. She's in love with him. <laughs> of course, I love him. Look at me. He calls me the bionic woman. Is that a compliment? I hear your parents are dead. That must be really hard for you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great conversation turnaround. Oh, yeah, that because that's like our first big dialogue scene. That's our first big exposition scene of the interaction of those characters. Exposition, if you can call it that. And the whole scene is just so tensely awkward. And That's I, in the bathroom, right? Yeah, in the bathroom. It's and Like, Ruby has taken this teenage child to a party where these women are asking her who she's fucking yep. and what color sex lipstick she she wants. And, uh, and yeah, and they oh, get, like, so really awkward. aggressive. Oh, yeah, it, I love it. It's so tense and awkward. It's perfect. So I do... Uh, so we have the the two characters, Ruby and Jesse, and there's the bionic woman. Do you remember her her character's name? Is Gigi. She... Gigi. Yeah, Gigi. So so Ruby is and Jenna Malone. Uh, Gigi is the bionic woman played by Bella Heathcote, and then the last one is Sarah played by Abby Lee, who's a real model. She's like the only real model in the film. She was very attractive, and also when her hair nuts. isn't pulled back completely in that in the bathroom scene, then she looks like a meth addict. Oh, uh, is that's the same one that drinks her blood and throws yeah. and breaks the mirror? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So she loses that part to to Jesse. Yes, yes, and she's like, "We've worked together before," and the guy's like, "What?" He's like looking at a piece of fabric, like her, oh, yeah, during her just, whole he, audition. Yeah, he doesn't look at her at all. Yep, yep. I got the impression that he wasn't looking at anybody, and then like, and then Jesse walks up and he's like. Oh my god. Yeah, he's totally child. enthralled. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, Is there I, any way we can make this illegal? 
Yeah, I, I think Sarah, uh, uh, Abby Lee is very good looking, but in that in that runway audition and the... Oh, God, she looks terrible. Oh, yeah, and when her hair... I wasn't like, even sure it was the same person. The, yeah, the first time I saw this, I thought it was just a different person, and it like yeah. took me to watch it like the second and third time when it's like, they call her Sarah, and I'm like, oh, it is her. But she, she looks like a meth addict because her hair's pulled back, she's like skinny as all hell, and then she's like in tears or about to be in tears the whole scene, and it's just it's just like so unnerving. Speaking of which, she did that very well. Uh, this oh, yeah. scene, however, did remind me of, and I can't for the life of me think of what it's from. Probably a TV show, a scene of like a sorority thing where these girls are getting their like fat circled and written on as part of their like hazing to get into the sorority, and so they're like in their lingerie being examined in this way, I... and like that's. That could be in multiple things, but I know there is definitely a cold open of a Law & Order SVU episode that does that. <laughs> That's probably what it's from then. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I definitely w- I was put in that mindset. It's like oh, yeah. these women are just – they're waiting there to – and uh, uh, so it's the wrong way to frame it because like I, I don't think calling it exploitation is correct because like obviously if these women want to model, they're allowed to do that. Sure. But it feels – exploitative yes and i think that's the way that the the men are played in this movie at least the photographer and the designer the designer in that scene not looking at anyone until jesse comes and he's he's like enthralled by her beauty um it's it just it belittles them in a way that the movie shows that they're being belittled where you know this whole thing's set up and then the the person who's making the decisions isn't even paying attention right um and, and they're like as as we find out later in the movie, doing some crazy shit to be to try to keep up with uh, <laughs> yes with what's desired of. So I I don't I don't know if we're gonna quite get to the crux of the movie. I do want to talk about. I have some questions about the history of these characters once we get to that. Okay, okay, sure. So if if you have anything you want to talk about before we get to the to the main attraction, so to speak. So yeah, the last ten fifteen minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah. So, so I do, I do want to talk about um, that that bathroom scene because that that's the first time that you you kind of know something weird is going on, not just this Hollywood, um, uh, you know, just the the business, the industry. Are you he, talking about the broken mirror scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. so, so Jesse gets the part. Um, he's the only. She's the only one that uh, the the designer pays attention to. Um, Sarah throws the. The, the vase or whatever the hell is in the bathroom at the mirror to break it, like this cylindrical container. Um, yeah. And and Jesse hears it. She goes in. Jesse's still timid, and she does that thing where she's like, I thought you were real good, honest. And the other girl's like, bitch, like, you don't know anything about how to talk to people. Like, don't do that, you know? Yeah, she says, like, don't don't pretend you don't know what you are or something like that. Yes, yeah. And and that's when you, you get, A I think... A small child. <laughs> you get that first twinge. Because, you know, the Sarah says to her, it's like, how does it feel, like, to know that people see you? And when you walk in a room, like, everyone pays attention to you. And Jesse's like, it's everything. Yeah. And so that scene, you get the first twinge of Jesse finally, like, realizing what she can be in, in the modeling business because of this power she, she thinks she has over men. And I think that's right. the point of the movie, that her narcissism is her downfall because she, she's like, I'm the one in control. And it's like, no. You're just getting the bad people who are going to use you and abuse you to pay attention to you. And is that really the best thing? Sure. And, and, but in that scene, of course, the mirror's all broken. They're sitting on the floor. 
she cuts her hand. And yeah, and well, the thing, the way Sarah, she cuts like, her lunges lunge, at her. Yeah, so that's the thing that I'm intrigued by is because Sarah like lunges at her. Elle Fanning coils back, cuts her hand, and that like stops Sarah from lunging. What was Sarah gonna do in that lunge? Like, was she gonna take a bite out of her? <laughs> you know, I mean, based on the last ten to fifteen minutes of the movie, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's like in that in that moment, it's like, is she just gonna like choke her out? Is she gonna slap her? I mean, like, she, it, she very well could have been motivated just to do to to disfigure her face or something. Definitely. Um, so, like, that's actually what I want to talk about. Is like, are are we to believe that these women have been eating women historically, or is this a first? I um, I definitely t- think it is some kind of you know repeated ritual. That's how I've taken it. So, the reason that I ask is because is I have to get her out of me. <gasps> I need to get her out of me. I need to get her out of me. <laughs> that that felt like maybe that was a first for her. Oh, um, I that that you're right. I think if anything, the the people who are repeating the person who's repeating this process is Jenna Malone's character. Like she, yeah, she seems to be the one who like knows how to do this or something like that. Like I kind of take it after seeing the end of this movie, I see it as like everything of her being nice to Elle Fanning and like trying to say, oh, you can call me if you're in trouble. And like her saying, like you have like the goods and stuff like that, and trying to protect her, it's mm. it's because she's done this before. She's and, trying to lure. Yeah, and and the only nudity we get in the movie is you know her Jenna Malone topless, and she's got like crazy occult tattoos all over her body. There, there's more nudity than that. There's the two the two women covered in oh, blood in the shower. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yes. Yeah, so so the, that's the so they don't have occult tattoos. Or at least we don't see them. So I think that you're right in the sense that maybe for those two, for Sarah and Gigi, that was their first time, and they were kind of like following Ruby to to get that. And I think I think that ending is perfect because the girl who says I need to get her out of me is the one who's had all the synthetic work done. It's like her synthetic beauty cannot handle true natural beauty, and I'm like that is such a perfect cap because the other one, Abby. Abby Lee, who's Sarah, like, she hasn't had any work done, or she doesn't talk about it, and she's the one who's like, well, you're weak, I'm strong, I'm gonna eat the eyeball and just go out there and do my job. So, uh, that that does raise for me the question of why Ruby would do this, because she's not a model. She's a makeup artist. True. True. So, what motivation does she have for wanting to, like, Mm. steal the powers of a model? It's like, that's that's a common thing in, in a couple different cultures, like eating the heart of your enemy to, to gain their strength and stuff like that. Yes. Like it's not one of my uh, one of my favorite scenes from District Nine is uh, when Charlotte Copley is like the whole movie he's slowly turning into the alien. There's a scene where he just has the alien arm and the like the people in the South African like you know uh, internment. It's not an internment camp. It's not a refugee camp. It's like just like the slums. There, mm-hmm. There's like a warlord, and he captures Charteau Copley, and a great line where he's like, "Now I will eat your arm and gain your power," and, it, and it's like it's that idea, absolutely. I told you that the day will come. You'll be running around with my prize. All I want is to eat that arm and become like you. No, no, no. Uh, I think there's a line in a Watsi song where he says, "If I need to, I'll consume or I'll, what is it? I'll consume you." 
I don't know. I, I, Something like that. I yeah, I'll get the clip in. But yeah, I remember that for sure. Yeah. But if you're blocking me, I will soon defeat you. I will build a bridge above you or I'll tunnel underneath you. I will eat you and excrete you and I'll feed you to the flowers if I need to. I'll go through you and absorb your fucking powers. Yeah, so I mean, that that's not uncommon. But what motivation does Ruby have for that? Is it the ability to make people that pretty through makeup so that they can be... Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know why Ruby would be involved in that. And I have another question because... Ruby tries like there's this really awkward scene where Ruby basically tries to rape El Fanning. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, and it's so, like, would having had sex with her in that moment prevented her from eating her later? Like, would that have been a power transfer enough? Um, I, I don't know. That that's an interesting point because I was trying to think of that as well because the whole the motivation of Ruby is like you know a very curious thing because. The thing that stood out to me immediately the first time I saw this was I love the juxtaposition that she's a makeup artist, but she's a makeup artist for living and dead people. Sure. And, and so it's like right off the bat, there's this notion of she's doing the same thing to just people. Like their status, alive or dead, seems to not matter to her. Right. And then that's, that's kind of pushed forward when she tries to have sex with Elle Fanning and her, her advances get rebuked. And then she goes and has sex with the corpse. And right. so it's, it's like there's some sense of, like, to Ruby, and who's, who's got to have some, you know, occult connection with the tattoos that we see, that she's like, there is no distinction between alive and dead to her. And that just makes it very curious. You might be right. I, I felt like maybe her character was just poorly developed. Um, <laughs> like, like, what's going on here? Uh, and, and that was, but that was part of why I was like, I don't know if this is a first or not. Mm-hmm. Um, because she, it seems like she, she was into this Jesse girl and then she got rejected and was like, now I have to summon two other people to help me kill you. Could um, be. Yeah. So I, like, I don't know. It just, I don't, I, I think you're, maybe you're right in that Ruby has done this before, but maybe Gigi and, and, uh, the other one, Sarah, yeah, Sarah haven't. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely seems that way that, um, you know, there's, there's this kind of, even kind of like a little hint or maybe like a rationalization is um, when they go to her Ruby's house and Elle Fanning is like, how do you live here? And she's like, oh, it's not my house. Like she says she's house sitting or something. Right. And it could definitely be like, well, that was like the last person that she killed or something like that. And, you know, there's, sure. there's some there's some total like backstory to Ruby that we just don't need to know for this movie that she's become entwined with Elle Fanning. And oh. I do have to say, very, very fun fact, and I'm very excited to have you on this episode, Ben. These, the uh, the building where that uh, that house, where the whole final death scene occurs, and where you know Elle Fanning goes and stays with Ruby, that is the Paramore Mansion in L.A. Very famous place. A lot of movies have been shot there. Most notably for this conversation, this is none other than the songwriter's house from Under the Silver Lake. I thought you were going to say that. Oh, oh, yeah. So we got two instances of the Paramore Mansion, um, two great scenes. One, a death scene. One, or oh, both death scenes, actually. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, we so in, uh, in this movie, there are two scenes in that mansion. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's so at the end when she's running... And from the before she gets killed, and then earlier when she shows up, the almost sex scene. So when when she has when Ruby has sex with the corpse, that is that before she kills Jess. 
Yes, that's like right after um, Jesse. Right she's rejected. Yeah, exactly, exactly. She um, she draws the face and the lipstick on the mirror, and then she goes yeah. to work and she's like doing a little makeup, and then she's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck this corpse." So when she's drawing that on the mirror, I I got the impression that she was xing out her own eyes. It definitely, uh, like obviously, yeah, had that reflective kind of juxtaposition. Yeah. And so, but then of course the the circle she draws is not herself, and so I, I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, was was she indicating maybe that she feels dead inside or something? Um, oh, that it could be goes along with her. Like she doesn't, she seems to think the same of living and dead people, or she can use them in the same way. Well, and and that that could lead to her motivation for for eating young people. Maybe mm. maybe what she's looking for is is not beauty but youthful exuberance or something. Sure, sure. Or like a youthful naive approach to the world where she can feel alive instead of instead of feeling dead and used. And, that that's a good point because you know we're this movie is very focused on the modeling aspect where it's like these two models want to eat Elle Fanning so they can become like the it girl. They want it, you know. They want the goods. Right. And it, it, there could be other things, you know. We don't. I, I'm. I'm going to speak just for myself, but I've never eaten anybody in real life. I don't know what powers I gain other than being the it girl. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, and I am not at liberty to, to discuss those powers. So <laughs> my, my lawyer has recommended I do not discuss this while litigation remains open. <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, but yeah, so I mean, like I said, the, you know, you gain powers in, in the various cultures where this thing type of things co- comes up. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that doesn't to me, at all to me seem to stop at physical beauty or yes. something yeah, or some kind of inherent attention getting nature about you because we, we do see later um, Sarah, like at the end of the movie, right, right before the, the final crazy shit that goes on, Sarah gets the attention of that Jack MacArthur guy mm-hmm. and he's like, who are you? Do I know can you? I, <laughs> can I use you for this? Yep. And he said he uses the words "Can I use you for this?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, touching on your point of you're not in charge; you're just getting the attention of the people who are going to use you. Exactly. Um, and like he literally uses those words, and like that struck me as odd. It's like, as opposed to like, "Can I shoot you for this?" or "Do you want to be in this shoot?" He says, "Can I use you for this?" Um. Yeah, and Which, he immediately fires the other girl. Yeah, without <laughs> even without even turning around. Yes, yes. Whatever her name is, and then it just so happens that, well, I so, the girl who gets fired is the one who's currently in the shoot who did not eat, the Jesse. Yep. So apparently, this worked for both of them, but it has been not long enough for this eyeball to have digested to the point that it's not an, an intact eyeball. Yes. And like I want to point out, eyeballs are not solid; they are liquid. What? And so <laughs> I don't know what eyeballs I, you've been eating, man. <laughs> so this eyeball was clearly never chewed. This eyeball mm-hmm. was swallowed whole, um, because any any puncturing release, you know, it's like yes. a, it's a, a water balloon, if you will, that allows you to yeah. see. It's got the um, it's got the nerve attached to it too. When we see it, yes, it yeah. Does. So so. A couple things. They don't necessarily chew the person they're eating. True. Um, We don't know how much of the person she ate. She Mm -hmm. maybe maybe they primarily ate the eyes uh, because that has something to do with whatever power it is they're trying to to, window to to the soul type of thing. Yeah. Right. But also, this photo shoot was ridiculously close to this murder. 
<laughs> like pro- in proximity, you know, in, in uh, temporal proximity, like they were, it was within 18 hours. Yes. Yeah. I, I imagine a, a Ruby calling them up or the two models calling Ruby up and they're like, so we got this photo shoot tomorrow. Can we eat this bitch tonight? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, in 18 hours, that's like from entry to exit timing. Oh, sure. So, so. This eyeball was completely unfazed by digestive juices. Well, well, uh, let me throw out this possibility: leftovers. Mm. Maybe, maybe the eyeball was a pre-photo shoot snack for, okay. for Sarah, <laughs> where okay. she got a little Tupperware, and right before the photo shoot, she goes in the bathroom and she's like, "I'm just gonna, you know, take it like a pill, you know, and just pops the eyeball in." <laughs> and that would make sense. Um, that would make more sense than her having eaten it that night. That, gives, that has, like, a Santa Clarita diet feel. Like, yeah. they just have it in the freezer and, like... Yes, yes, absolutely. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I definitely had that thought as well, where it's, like, this eyeball is a whole eyeball. And it's kind of like, you know, well, then that asks, begs the question of, you know, how, well, how was it consumed? When was it consumed? Is, like you said, is that the only thing they're consuming? You know, I would imagine that the, the other parts of the body are chewed up to some extent you know um yeah. who knows you gotta you gotta be into the cheeks if you're trying to get the beauty <laughs> yes they gotta eat your nose somehow <laughs> and, and from what i hear the cheeks are delectable i've never eaten a person but i'm pretty sure that the only <laughs> movie that i can recall that's about eating people they say something about the cheeks being particularly good oh okay okay um so yeah i mean that's the that's the one thing that you know they don't we don't get like a full-on which I, I think is a good thing for this movie. I think that we didn't, we don't need a scene of just like you know a minute of can of like full frontal cannibalism. You know, I mean, I, I wouldn't have turned it down, but <laughs> it's it's not this movie. Yeah, <laughs> it, could, it couldn't have made the movie worse. <laughs> so so yeah, I I definitely have that 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 same thought. And even in before the like you said, the photographers like, can I use you when makeup's being put on, uh, Sarah or. Uh, yeah, Sarah's just sitting there, and you know the two models are getting makeup put on, and that model who's not involved with the eating or the whole movie, she's just like talking shit and all this stuff. And it's like once you reach twenty one, you're so irrelevant in this industry or something like that. And and she has the great thing. Yeah, have you ever had like someone younger steal the part? What'd you do? And Sarah's like, I ate her. <laughs> you ever had a girl screw you out of a job? Yes. So what'd you do about it? I ate her. <laughs> that, I love that. That's great. That was great. So actually, are you, you, by mentioning makeup, you, you conjured my mind. You had said uh, that part of Elle Fanning's downfall was her like arrogance or, or her... Narcissism, uh, yeah. Narcissism. Before she's murdered, she does her own makeup. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, um, which and she does her makeup very much in the style that they do in these photo shoots with like tons of extra glitter and like you know it's not oh it's God, not like going so out makeup. Glitter. It's like it's like fucking. She got hit in the face and she bruised pink and glittery. That's um, the cringiest part of this movie to me. How much glitter is used? 
because yeah. I've said it on this podcast before. I've said it in real life, too. I've probably said it to you at one point, Ben. I say it to everybody. Glitter is the herpes of the of arts the and crafts world. world. Yeah. I, yeah. I swear that there's there's got to be a – like the last time I touched glitter had to be like for some reason in like high school or college. Like, like still late, finding it? <laughs> it it's got to be somewhere on my body. I would bet you any – I would bet for me, I would bet, you know – this movie, Neon Demon, was 2016. I would bet if we talk to Elle Fanning today, she's still finding glitter in places. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't come off. Yeah, so, yeah, that's off. Glitter, I agree, is awful. But the point I was making is that is that Elle has taken it into her own hands to do makeup, which is somebody else's job yes. in this industry. So she she is stepping on people not only in that she's taking the modeling jobs – She's now trying to take the makeup jobs. Oh yeah, and she she's has that. All, she thinks she thinks she's stepping on people, and then she's about to get pushed into an empty pool. Yeah, yeah. She has That's that great monologue on the diving board where she's like, "My mother always said I was a dangerous girl, and now I understand it." You know what my mother used to call me? Dangerous. You're a dangerous girl. She was right. I am dangerous. I know what I look like. What's wrong with that anyway? Women would kill to look like this. They carve and stuff and inject themselves. They starve to death. Hoping, praying that one day they'll look like a second-rate version of me. And even yeah. – I like that monologue, but I think even it's, – it's better it, – it's set up really well because in that earlier scene when um, they – after the photo shoot, after the, uh, the runway show, and she you know, has that transformation, and then she goes to dinner with the photographer slash boyfriend, and, mm. and the, the designer's there, um, Gigi's there. The, the other woman in that scene who has, like, two lines, who's sitting in between the designer and Gigi, that's Nicholas Winding Refn's wife. Okay. Who this movie is also dedicated to, which I find strange. <laughs> okay. But in that scene, you know, they, they show up, and they're like, oh, I want you to meet Dean. And the designer's like, your name is Bean? And he's like, Dean. <laughs> and then... Through the portage of the head, like Hi. a brass cannon... I want you to meet my friend. This is Dean. Hi. Your name is Bean? No, Dean. Dean. Dean, yeah. Dean, nice to meet you. And then uh, Gigi says something like, there's not room for two, so they sit at the table across the way. And they right. have that whole, we have that, like you said before. The um, white knighting? Yeah, the white knighting. And beauty isn't everything. It's the only thing. And then Dean's like, uh, do you want to leave? I want to leave. And then she's like, so leave. Like, I'm going to stay here. But right. it's, it's, it's encapsulated. That transformation is encapsulated perfectly when Elle Fanning goes back to her motel room and Dean is there and Dean is like, who are you? Like, what do you want to be? Do you want to be one of them? And Elle Fanning says, I don't want to be them. They want to be me. Right. And it's like, she is totally lost in this power she thinks she has. And it's great. It's such a, it's such a great kind of like, she is getting chewed up and spit out and doesn't even realize it. She thinks she's winning. Right, definitely. So I, I also wanted to talk about something that, I, it definitely made me laugh. Um, it's like, what, 25 or 30 minutes into the movie, 
Elle Fanning, I know we mentioned it already, but Elle Fanning goes back to her motel after something. I think after the date, the first date with Dean uh, Bean, and she she's, thinks that someone's in her room, right. and so she goes to Keanu Reeves, and she's like, someone's in my room. And I think this is like our first real real introduction to Keanu Reeves because he's like, he doesn't even open the door, and he's like, are you high? And she's like, no. Or she's like, there's <laughs> someone in my room. And he's just, he's just like, has, wants nothing to do with it. And then she's like, I'm going to call the cops. And he just busts out. And he's like, no, no, no. Okay, let's do this. I got this other dude with a baseball bat. Let's figure this out. And then when they go up to the room and they have to like kick the door open and they look inside and they see that the room's just a mess, Keanu Reeves' like immediate reaction is to push Elle Fanning and go, you have to pay for all of this. <laughs> You're paying for this. Yeah. <laughs> It's not my fault. Yeah, she's like, it's not my fault. And then they find out it's a mountain lion, and then she still has to pay for it, which I guess right. kind of makes sense because, like, he's Keanu Reeves says later in the movie when Dean tries to pay for it, who Dean's left that like, sliding door open? Yeah, was it exa- you? exactly. <laughs> was it you? Because it sure as hell wasn't me. And then Keanu Reeves is just like a total dick because that's after uh, Elle Fanning cuts her hand and Dean shows up and Elle Fanning passes out. And right. the, whenever I when I saw this the first time, Elle Fanning passes out, and then it, like the next cut is to, um, well, we do get some of that like the neon lights, like some foreshadowing for the uh, the 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 runway show later on, mm-hmm. and it's like like Elle Fanning pass out has this experience, but then the next scene it cuts to is she wakes up in bed and Dean is like sitting there on the bed like just waiting for her to get up, I, wake up I guess. Yeah, and he was touching her probably. and. <laughs> He had a knife in her mouth, for sure. <laughs> and the thing that always gets me is, like, Dean just does nothing to fix her hand. Because when Elle Fanning wakes up, her, like, hand is on the bed that's cut, and the bed is just covered in blood. And I'm like, he didn't do anything to stop the bleeding? Like, he didn't even get a towel and wrap it around? He just let her bleed all over the sheets? And yeah. I, it, he makes up for it later, because when he goes to Keanu Reeves, he's like, well, is there a pharmacy around here? And he right. wants to get first aid supplies. So I'm like... I'll give him a little bit, but you, she, he just let her bleed, like, continuously while she's passed out. And I'm like, that doesn't seem okay. <laughs> um, we kind of went off on a tangent earlier. We were talking about the broken mirror scene in, in the bathroom. Sure. And then we started talking about, you know, the need to disfigure women and power and stuff. Mm. I don't think we actually talked about the fact that Sarah just straight up licks blood off of Jesse's hand. Yes, that's right. We did go off on a tangent. Because like I said, that's where we get the first inclination that something weird is going on. And right. it's in the and it's one we said in the sense where Jesse's finally realizing what she can do in this industry. Right. But then yes, that's our first kind of thing where uh Sarah's like, let me see, is your hand okay? And then just starts like 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 sucking the blood out of the wound like a, a lick to a suck and it's just like oh my oh my yeah and she's like that 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 scene's actually pretty similar to the to the scene with ruby where ruby's trying to like fuck her because like yeah it's forceful yeah that's, and that's kind of interesting because like i mean as we pointed out earlier there's there's the the sense that the the men are the exploitators in this movie mm-hmm. um but very much the women are the ones who do direct harm to her. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and to for furthering their own ability to be harmed by the exploitative system, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I don't know. I don't know that exploitation is the right framing because they're adults. They're allowed to be mostly naked and pretty 
Yeah, it, it makes me it makes me think of, and I said this at the start of this episode, is that um, this movie, even though stylistically different, is very similar to um, Showgirls. And is that the one you called Tits the movie? Boobies the movie, yes. Boobies the movie. Okay. <laughs> so so much nudity in that movie. It's amazing. Uh- because um, I thought, like, because we, you know, we, you and I discussed off camera the various movies, and I thought that this one was that. And I, like, I got halfway through this movie, and I was like, there's no boobs in this movie at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, not, like, not that that determines how good a movie is, but, like, this movie would be better with boobs. Sure, sure. Uh, no, that, yeah, that's, that's Showgirls. Um, there's a lot of nudity in Showgirls. But, um, one of, one of the main conflicts of Showgirls is, um, like you say, it's, it's not exploitation. It's this, it's these women fighting between each other to get a, a better place in this kind of industry that's been created by the men. Like, they, they, are, they are subscribing to getting the better parts, getting the better roles. And, like, a, a big thing in Showgirls is, um, you know, there's, there's two dancers where one, like, you know, drops beads onto the stage so another dancer will break her ankle and, or her Shit. knee. And then, like, uh, the main character in, like, the last 30 minutes of the movie pushes the star down the stairs so she can get the main role. And and that's why I find the similarities with this movie, even though it's not that that realistic. Like I said, Showgirls is very grounded, where how do you get somebody out of the way or you push them down the stairs, you know? Where this is like, how do I get the one-up on the it girl? We eat her. We drink her blood. We, we gain her power. And and that's what these women are doing. You're right. It's not exploitative. It's almost like this, this kind of manufactured conflict by the industry. Well— it's it's very much like a hierarchical struggle as far as they're concerned. Yes. Um, they they at least seem to think that if you're not getting one job, you're not getting future jobs, and that might be true in the industry. I'm sure that I'm sure that once a photographer likes working with you, they work with you more. I sure. I, I mean I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I can see why it would be. Um, so it, it's like they've taken it. They, and, and you know, it, with men, it, it happens somewhat differently, I guess. Uh, but we compete in hierarchies to, oh, to yeah. try to get to the top, and that, that's very much what's happening here. Yes. And they're kind of they're a little more similar to the way that men interact with each other. It, it, what am I trying to say? It's it's like a little bit too deep for me to to get to it. There's there is some similarities in terms of how they're competing within the hierarchy to the way that like men compete in the work. Sure, but they they did keep it fairly subversive, I guess, in the tactics as well. So I yes. like there's, but like the direct, the direct violence is is something that's more typically associated with men. And when mm-hmm. and when women kill, they typically poison. But since these people are eating this woman, I guess they couldn't poison her. That that's a good point. Yep. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I guess I I don't really have any like well thought out conclusions is just like an observation no yeah you're 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 getting at it for sure because you know all of our main characters our primary characters probably better for the neon demon um they are female and they are you know behaving in this way that isn't what you'd expect from you know like a um a, a less i was about to say less intelligent maybe a more mainstream movie dealing with this topic like you said, you know, like in a more mainstream movie, it would be the the cattiness that we get in just a few scenes, like the bathroom scene at the beginning, and then like the, with the bionic woman later on at the runway show, like the cattiness would be pumped up to 11, and it would be, you know, like, um, I'm thinking the stupidest version of this movie would be like um, 
they're bad-mouthing each other on social media, and that's a main plot point. Where here, there's none of that. It's all the, like, this visceral, like, physicality, like you said. Like, even if it's not just the killing and the the eating, there's also, like, the the forcing, these women forcing themselves on each other. Like, Ruby with with Jesse and all that stuff. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Um, It it struck me as, as being particularly out of place because of, of the fact that like we think of violence mostly in the masculine frame and that might not be you know necessarily accurate to the way the world is mm. it just tends to be the way we think of it um, uh, another thing going along that line you know in the in the the um the stupider more more bland version of this movie we would have had a cat fight. We would have had a, a like an open open slaps and shit like that. Exactly. Ben's doing the cat fight motion. I think we're we're all doing the cat fight. Everybody <laughs> at home is doing the cat fight motion. Everybody was cat fight motion. But the, uh, <laughs> the but all the only time there's actual like physical violence. Well, the first it's only at the end. You know, it's the push into the pool. And when when Jesse is running away from when she sees the other model in the house, uh, Sarah pops out from behind a doorway and punches her. Yeah, punches like her right in the face. Like it's a closed fist punch. And according to the commentary, the scene that they used in the movie, real punch. Like, okay. Like uh, like Elle Fanning was uh, slightly ahead of her mark, and Abby Lee legitimately punched her in the face, and that's the <laughs> one they used in the movie. And you're, awesome. and you're right. I didn't even think about it that way. That, you know, the violence in this movie is, like, actual violence. It's not this, this feminized violence that the media has shown us in so, many, in so many movies and TV shows. Hell, that we grow up with kids on, like, the Disney Channel, you know? Right. Like, right. pulling hair and, and just, you know, like, slashing at each other with nails. And it's like, no, this is, this is real violence. These people want her dead. They're going to do it, you know? They're not going to half-ass it. Right. And that's... I mean, honestly, it's somewhat of a testament to the, to this movie that they they didn't take the route of like, as you said, air quotes, feminizing the violence, mm-hmm. and that there's women doing violence to each other in a movie that's somewhat about men controlling and exploiting women as a whole. Yep. I, I don't know. There, there's just something. I guess there's something kind of inherently interesting about the the relationship between those two things. Um, Absolutely. And I'm, I'm definitely out of my depth as far as like the so- social psychology aspects are concerned, but it it definitely it definitely feels like women competing for who can be exploited the most or something. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that goes. I think you're saying something like what I've been saying is that you know they think that being in this position of like the it girl is the height of their power, and right. it's not. The men are still using them, and that's what they. That's what it seems like they don't. These in these characters don't realize that if if they're the, if they're the best model under these men, that's the best they can be. Sure. And do you do you think that was meant as an, as as a more general statement, or do you think that's like supposed to be relegated to this industry, where it's like within this industry, being the to- on top as a woman is still being beneath the men. I I think that that's something I definitely think of this movie. I definitely got it from this last viewing, but I think that is really because what you just said is the exact encapsulation of what I mean when I say this is the chewed up and spit out series. Okay. That that all of these women think that their best possible position is still underneath some man. Because we get that under the Silver Lake, of course, is the the black sheep of this whole series because that was just a a very minute part was the women thing. 
But still, mm-hmm. the brides, the brides go along with the rich men at the end. That That is right. something they want to do. But at the same time, you can make the argument that Under the Silver Lake was, well, they're all reaching enlightenment, so there's equality for them at the end. But Black Swan, it's all about who gets to play the lead role in the in the ballet. They're still underneath the, the head of the dance company, who's a man. And then, you know, um, showgirls, they're trying to be who's the best dance, who's the lead of the dance show. Well, they're still underneath the men that run the hotel and run the actual stage production. And then this movie, they want to be the it girl. They want to be the number one model, but they're still underneath and under control of the men who are putting them in their shows or photographing them. And and it's just, it's like that, that is the concept of chewed up and spit out. They go through these things just to get spit out in this place that they think is their, their, their top, their best. And it's absolutely not. Okay. In terms of, you know, uh, just like looking at it as, you know, because there's women designers and stuff like that, you know, but not in these movies. These movies are always kind of the glass ceiling is always personified by a male in these movies. Sure. Okay. I guess in all in all of the examples you picked, with the exception of Under the Silver Lake, it has something to do with some kind of uh, performing arts type position where. Yes. The business. Yeah. Where in one way or another, beauty is irrelevant characteristic definitely yep um, it's everything yeah it's not it's not what is it it's not the only thing it's everything what uh, beauty isn't everything it's the only thing oh yeah okay. <laughs> yeah, there yeah, you yeah. <laughs> we'll get that we'll say that enough we'll get it eventually <laughs> sure um so yeah i mean i definitely think this movie is maybe in the most blatant terms exactly what you're describing yeah Be- because uh, that that brings up an interesting point you know looking at it that way you know, kind of just just taking that idea, and especially the idea of this movie where, you know, these women eat Elle Fanning so they can, you know, become that it girl and raise that status. What would happen if they ate the designer? Like, can you do that? Could they eat a man and get to a certain, a different level of, of you know, being seen as, as peers to the men because they're always seen as tools by the men in this movie? Right. You know, and, and it's kind of like, you know, this movie is interesting in that abstract sense of, well... Yes, there's cannibalism. They eat this girl. They, you, know, you know, one of them rejects her. One of them uses her to her benefit. But what is what does that mean in like the grander universe that they've created? Does it mean anything? No, this is a self-contained movie. I'm not. I don't think there's going to be like a sequel where there's just like more cannibalism or anything. But it's just it opens up that idea for sure. Uh, yeah, I like I like the idea of could, could they transcend what they believe to be the top? Yes, exactly by by consuming somebody who exists above that that's mm-hmm. interesting um would, would it be would they would they consider a female designer as above them would Ooh. they consider a female photographer as above them that's whenever they are the girl like perhaps so i mean obviously like we're look, we, we've discussed it as like there's this man who represents the glass ceiling mm-hmm do they necessarily think of themselves as below this person? I mean, obviously they need that person's approval. Yes. But they only need that person's approval to get into the position where they can then influence thousands and, or millions. And and that photographer, while his name is big in the industry, nobody in the rest of the world knows his name. They know yeah. the women. That's interesting. That's That's something that this movie definitely does not get at. Showgirls does a really good job of that when when our main character in Showgirls like gets the big part she does think she's equal and she gets like 
thrown down multiple pegs because she thinks she's equal. Like, she gets put in her place at the end. And so that shows it off a lot better. This movie doesn't really get at that because, you know, there are no... The only female of authority we get is the, the agency woman, Christina Hendricks, yeah. near the beginning, and then she disappears. She's never in the movie again. So that, that would be an interesting kind of take on, you know, would, would the It girl, if she was being photographed by a female photographer, say, for the sake of argument, a famous female photographer... Would she be like, oh, she has authority over me? Or would that it girl kind of have the feeling that we've been saying where it's like, oh, she's a female photographer. She's not going to get the respect from the industry because it's still men-driven. There's so many ways to play with that dynamic that this movie just doesn't. Well, yeah. And well, one of them is like we haven't quite discussed. We, we don't necessarily know how these women feel about the men. Sure, sure. Perhaps they see the men as a tool as much as the men see them as a tool it could be like like you said it's 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 not really exploitation because if a woman wants to model she can totally model and and a woman could the women in this movie or any woman anywhere being a a, like a supermodel like super in the sense of very famous the it girl you know they could see themselves as using the men i think like i said i think that's uh fanning's downfall in this movie but it could be done correctly and i'm sure it has been done correctly in the real world before well and it I, I guess I, I kind of get the impression that this Sarah uh, person might be somebody who is capable of that. Okay. Um, now, she does have kind of have that breakdown when she's not selected, but, but that could e- just as easily be seen as a frustration when the tool you were trying to use didn't work quite the way you thought it should. Yes, yes. And, and a kind of a motivation to do more. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, mm. yeah, sure. I mean, the, the men are using the women, but the women are using the men. And and the men have access to the platform where the women can can then, you know, flaunt their whatever. You know, yeah, fla- yeah, absolutely. Become famous and break out into a maybe a bigger pool of more of more photographers of you're, more opportunities. You're absolutely right. That's that's an absolute. That's a, a perfect point to make. You know, and and it makes me think of um, there's a there's a movie um, that I really like. I think it's I think it's well known. It's called Bowfinger. And it's got Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy in it, and it's about um, making a movie. Like, it's a satire of, like, the movie business. But uh, Heather Graham is in it, and she plays this, like, she just came to L.A. and she wants to be in a movie. And she's, she starts off as seeming as, like, timid and all this stuff. And literally, throughout the movie, she sleeps with every man in the movie to continually move up the ladder to eventually be dating, like, the hottest superstar in Hollywood at the end. No, and and that's exactly what you describe. She's using all the men as a tool. Like, like there's something where she's like, oh, like she sleeps with the actor, and she's talking to the actor, and she's like, I want to have like another scene with the star type of thing, and the actor's like, well, I, I don't get to make that distinction. It's the scriptwriter, and so she goes and sleeps with the scriptwriter, and she's like, did you write my scene? Is it going to be in the movie? And he's like, well, I wrote the scene, but it's up to the director if he wants to put it in the movie. So she sleeps with the director, and she just continually sleeps her way up the chain, and is just like has no shame about it she's just using what she has to get to where she wants to be and it's it's a that's a comedy movie it's played for laughs but it's exactly the opposite of what we've been discussing with this film where or what you describe where it's the women using the men as the tool it's interesting i think it's uh again kind of a little bit beyond my expertise but i know that one of like historically one of the tools that women have always had at their disposal is their ability to make men do things for them Sure. Yep. Uh, We've definitely been had that beaten into our heads by media 
our whole lives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm talking about even going back further than that, like from the evolutionary perspective, it's like why when when men could recreate or reproduce as much as possible, mm-hmm. why why do we entertain the idea of monogamy? It's like like why why do we stick around and protect our progeny and and you know I I think part of that is the ability for women to be powerful over yeah, us in some way. Yeah, I don't want to say absolutely. I don't want to say controlling or whatever, but I mean I think it's a give and take relationship when it's healthy. But there's definitely an aspect of like other animals don't do that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in humans that is a thing that happens. Absolutely, so, yeah. Um, the the fact that in in some levels of society, men do seem to have all the power, mm-hmm. might actually be kind of misleading. Um, oh, sure, sure. You know, um, it it gets at a lot of the um, you know um, a lot of I, I think in in media and in the real world, you know, like like famous men, they a lot of the motivation or you know the things they talk about is women driven. And there's even that saying is behind every great man, there's an even better woman. You know that type of right. thing. And right. and yes, that's not to say that you know. We're, we're saying that there's there's no inequality between the genders in some cases, but that that's a thing. I definitely agree with you that you know there are there is power that women have, and it just comes down to you know you can't really just talk about it on a grand scale. Well, and especially especially young women, ability to produce healthy offspring is a power like no other. It seems. Oh, sure. When, when it comes to social influence. Uh, you know that doesn't translate to owning a mansion later in life or anything mm-hmm. like that. The way the way that uh, that like my my usefulness might. Um, yes, but it it is an interesting thing that I mean like we definitely sometimes it's it's categorized as like a bad thing that this gets used to to climb ladders and sometimes it's played for laughs and sometimes maybe it's seen as a as a positive thing and it doesn't appear that. If that's what's going on in this movie, that these women have any qualms with the fact that they're using their sexuality to get to the top, mm-hmm. um, to the point that like the bionic woman is even proud of the fact that she's manipulated her her body. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, or, or you could say malfigured her body or mal malformed it. Mm-hmm. Granted, to a to a nice end result, but still not what she was born with. Uh, yeah, and yeah. and there's no shame at all, at least amongst these people, and you know I, I guess I don't really have an opinion about whether there should be or not, but it, it does it does seem that that could be an aspect of this movie, I guess. Yeah, it, it's definitely got that you know um, it, it's it's it provokes those type of thoughts, which is exactly what I think a movie telling a story like this should do, and and that's why you know. For me, I think, you know, when I first watched this movie, I didn't have, you know, all of these thoughts, and I didn't really focus on that. And sure, I'm biased now, picking this series and focusing on this topic for so long. But I think that's something that you can get from this movie. So, so yes, it, this movie, I think, is, is thought-provoking in that sense. And I think that's what I, I, I have the biggest problem with the, the critics that just called this, like, nonsense or something like that. Like, there's definitely meaning to this story. Sure, it might be boring and slow burn like we've described mm-hmm. but but there is definitely something here you know this is not just like an abstract art installation like there is definitely uh, something that they are trying to say with this story well i can say with 100 percent certainty that talking about this movie has been way more enjoyable than watching it <laughs> i don't want to give the audience any kind of misconception as, as much as i've been enthusiastic Ben's not one over <laughs> yeah 
I still hate this movie. Yes. Uh, be- because it's not enjoyable to watch, and that's what I want from movies, is I want to enjoy watching them. Sure, sure. Well, that, that, that's also been why, why I like having you on here, because even if you dislike something, you don't throw it away. You can still think about it, for sure, you know? Uh, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes. So, so I, I know we've said it a few times that we've gotten really into the, the, the gender aspects of, of this movie and the topic as itself. Um, I think we both said now that we're not experts on this. Uh, I think it's a 50-50 chance after this episode releases we will either be given honorary gender studies degrees <laughs> or people will be protesting outside of our apartments. Uh, <laughs> Those yeah. are the only how, two options. How long before we get canceled? Have I have I given any like really identifying information? <laughs> like, you got a first name for me? Did I have I, don't know, I you said keep, where I you was? You keep saying you're in Ohio. I think that's that's all the internet needs. There's <laughs> only one of us. Um <laughs> Oh yeah, and they know if they listen to old episodes, they know where I live. Do they? Do have I said where I work? I don't know. No, I don't think um, so. <laughs> good. So with that being said, we're, we've hit the real hard-hitting feminism topics. Um, right. Let's talk about having sex with corpses. <laughs> <laughs> what was the thing I said to you when we picked this movie? How teenage is that neon <laughs> demon? Yes, so teenage that it's dead. <laughs> <laughs> So so yeah the the corpse I don't I don't really have that much to say about the corpse scene I think we hit the the point of it I think is Ruby's character I take it as that juxtaposition of the her her feelings toward the living and the dead uh, so yeah you you mentioned how how you took it I, I took it as like a last resort type of thing not sure so so like not like she thought that they were equal it was more like well I couldn't have the live one I might as well have this dead one that looks kind of like her and that that's fair because that the the whole corpse sex scene is intercut with shots of Jesse like laying on the couch and like you know caressing herself. Yeah, she's like touching. Yeah. She's rubbing up on her tits and stuff. And, and yeah, then so, Ruby's rubbing up on the corpse's tits, and it's like, yeah. this is weird. Yeah, it is. It is definitely very strange. I would say <laughs> I uh, don't like it. Not my cup of tea. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it's definitely I think played the the most like kind that, of. That's the nudity we forgot. Oh, sure, sure. And so I think that that is played in the movie on, like, its most surface level is when you see it, it's like that corpse is, like, a sex toy to, to Jenna Malone in that scene. She, Like you said, she couldn't have the live one, so she's using this other body that she has access to to, you know, fantasize about. I, I want to throw this out there. That body is probably cold. Oh, it's got to be. It's got to be that so cold. Is- that is not a warm body she's making out with and, cor- and like, groping. Oh, yeah. It's she is freezing, yeah. <laughs> very knowingly groping a dead thing. I, yeah. I just, I can't, I can't stress it enough. If you're considering having sex with a corpse, probably don't. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, that's, that, you heard it here first, everybody, on Cinemodities. If you're thinking about having sex with a corpse, don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's words to live by right there. I can get behind that. <laughs> Good. That's our PSA for this week. <laughs> it's not like it's not going to be a pleasant experience. That is a cold, not as malleable. Like the skin has got to be kind of tougher. I, yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah rigor like, has got to be setting in. Like it's going to well, be stiff to some extent. Rigor does eventually wear off. So. Oh, that's true. That's true. We don't know how long they've been there. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But it was probably refrigerated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I think that we don't leave corpses out at room temperature. Nope. They're definitely no. not as hardy as eggs. 
are sterile inside. You can keep them unrefrigerated. I don't even have to open the door. You know, room temperature eggs, they cook better, they eat better, and you can crack them and get the liquid and just drink the liquid. They all look the same inside. You don't need to refrigerate your eggs, but you do need to refrigerate your corpses, everybody. <laughs> That's right. Oh, God. Unless you bought your eggs in America, and then you do need to refrigerate them. Yeah, because they, they screwed us over from the get-go. Yeah. Goddamn from, eggs. From, from the get-go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So, I'm glad so, we could have this discussion candidly, Rob. Yes, yes. Uh, this is what we do. We go from hard-hitting feminist topics to this, whatever this is called. <laughs> uh, necrophilia? Yeah, the discussion of necrophilia. Yeah, cold yeah, bodies, okay. all that stuff. Right. So, uh, gives popping the top on a cold one a whole new meaning. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that I think I think if anybody who uh, writes for Law and Order SVU heard us, there's going to be they just got the idea to make an episode for next season where there's a bunch of like men that are clearly the bad guys and they're they're stealing corpses of women to rape them or desecrate them or whatever you want to call it whatever the show wants to call it and the episode title is going to be called Cracking Open a Cold One with the Boys <laughs> <laughs> That that's coming folks season season 23 maybe of Law and Order SVU we just that's gave right. them that idea That's right So Dick Wolf I expect <laughs> my royalty check Yeah yeah come on get at us So with all that being said I did want to ask you Ben I'm sure we talked about some of them um, you did say you thought some of the stuff in this movie was really well done. Were there any that we didn't hit on, or any that you wanted to highlight in particular? Of course, you know, the last 10, 15 minutes when something, like you said, remarkable, able to be remarked upon happens. Um, you know, we talked about the, the scene where her facial expression changes at the runway show. That's great. But anything else? There's the scene where she's talking to, that, to, to the, the, boy, the boyfriend, the amateur photographer, mm -hmm. on, on his car. Oh, and yeah. she's like, I'm 16, and he's like, I think I left the stove on. <laughs> yeah, he, like, acts like he's going to leave, yeah. So I... You want me to say I'm 19? Well, how old are you? 16 last month. No, I think I left the stove on at home. Stop! When I was watching it, I was like, this... I, I, it occurs to me, as it often does these days when I'm watching movies, like, that person could have reacted differently to that. Mm -hmm. And if they had reacted differently, if, for instance, she hadn't thought that was a joke, what would he have done? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good point. <laughs> like, was he actually leaving? Was he actually gonna leave? And then she was like, oh, no, don't leave. And he was like, maybe I can get my dick wet. Like, like what yeah. was going on there? Um, yeah, because yeah, he, he clearly doesn't care. He tries to get the kiss later on. Right. And yeah. so you don't give a fuck. And like, we don't know. I guess we don't know how old he is. So like, it might be legal. She's, I think she's supposed to be 16 in the movie. Yeah, she's 16 say. in the movie. So I guess what, technically, if, if he's 17? Well, I don't know. I don't know what the age of consent in California is. For all I know, it could be like fucking eight. So in... <laughs> Who knows what California's like these days? In, in New Mexico, uh, in this, I, I could be getting this wrong. It never really came up in my life that it mattered. Uh, the age of consent is something like 16. Okay. 
provided there's no more than a four year difference. Oh, and, okay. And then I've it's, heard of that stuff. Yeah. 18, I believe. So like 16, a 16 year old with a 20 year old's fine mm-hmm. until the 20 year old's 21st birthday. And then he's a pedophile until the 16 year old. Okay. 17, okay. Or 18. I don't, I don't, I don't remember exactly. Sure. So like it, it could be the case that they're allowed to fuck when they first meet. And then at some point they reach ages where they're not allowed to fuck anymore. Right. The law is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they clearly didn't have mathematicians writing it. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? It seems like if you ever could have fucked, you should still be able to fuck. Should be part of the law. Yeah, but... who, oh, yeah who knows? That's, yeah, that's, a, that's some weird stuff. So, yeah, we don't know in the context of this movie. But it is, like you said, it is played as a joke. And he just goes for it later. And then... She's I guess, like, yeah, I, I don't even know. <laughs> and then she tells Ruby, I've never been with a man. So she's oh, clearly right. at least pretending to be a virgin. I mean, we know she lies about her age, so who knows if she's a virgin or not. Or not. And then Ruby basically tries to rape her, and she's like, stop. And she says, stop repeatedly. Oh, yeah. That's and Ruby's like, it's okay. I, she's like, it's okay. It's okay. I'm just going to yeah. touch you everywhere. I'm, I'm going to continue to do things you don't want. It's all right. Yep. Um. That scene was disturbing. Yeah, uh, not good. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, any other scenes? Let's see. So there's the the mountain lion thing. Uh, that, I mean, that wasn't that interesting. There's Keanu Reeves and his friend with a bat. And he's, he can't open a door. That was he, like he's <laughs> unable to unlock his own door, like his own hotel. Yes. And, yeah. <laughs> which we saw Elle Fanning do literally seconds before yeah. that. Yeah, Ben is like, yeah, this is thrilling. There's a cat in a room. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, let's see. What else happens? Really nothing. Nothing else happens in this movie. If you've listened to this, you've seen it. It's it's <laughs> that's, that's actually kind of a good point. We have described a lot of it. Um, but yes. Oh, oh, oh. In oh, the yeah. photo shoot, when the two women at the end, when the when the late before her before she gets upset to her stomach and, and starts throwing up, mm-hmm. um, the, the two ladies are standing there very robotic. Yes, that I thought that was a neat idea for a photo shoot, and then good visual, then, yeah, with like the waves, the whole ocean behind them, and they're looking right. just like and there's a pool in front of them. Up. Yeah, yeah. Why are we swimming in a pool when there's an ocean right over there? Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then of course the suicide at the end. She's just laying on the floor, throws up an eyeball, and then stabs herself yep. in the stomach. It's like I gotta get her out of me. Oh yeah, and she just stab. Yeah, oh yeah, good, good shit. I. I love that whole ending is like we said earlier, the, um, the, the woman who can't handle the, the true beauty is the bionic woman. Like, I love that, that, that idea. That's a good point. Um, that's a good point you brought up. I like that. Yeah, it's a great movie. So uh, I've won Ben over. It's He's going to watch it. He's going to watch it every day. From now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will never watch this movie again. Fair, fair. Uh, if you, if you are into, uh, you know, th- this type of atmospheric stuff, definitely check it out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, it's definitely, uh, not a, uh. It's it's not really going to keep you going. You you have to kind of keep yourself going. And I guess that is a better time than any to lead into our questions about this, our cinemodities, and our late night. And uh, I'll throw it over to you first, Ben, because I think you've made your opinions clear. I want to know how they manifest into our uh, our cinemodities and late night uh, classification and recommendation. So do I think it's a cinemodity? Yeah, it's pretty weird. It's a weird movie. <laughs> 
What, would I recommend this to anyone ever under you, any circumstances? Would you watch this late at night with somebody? If somebody was like, hey, you seen any – like let's say tomorrow you're hanging out with somebody and they're like, you seen any movies lately? And this was the most recent movie you've seen. Would you watch this with them? That's what no. I want to know specifically, and then you can answer late night more generally. I want to know what, tomorrow would you show this to somebody? If somebody asked me specifically – do you know of a movie I can watch that can help me go to sleep? <laughs> Do you know the cure for insomnia? <laughs> I I might suggest this movie. Okay, okay. Um, pr- provided that they actually fall asleep before the first scene where the where she licks the blood off the, off of her hand. Because mm-hmm. after that, I was like, oh shit, this might be int- this might like start to get interesting. <laughs> Something's and, gonna happen. <laughs> and then it it very much didn't for the next like forty minutes, maybe longer. So no, under those circumstances, I'm not gonna I'm okay. not gonna suggest this movie. So then, in general, would I ever suggest to anybody that they should ever watch this movie under any circumstance? No. <laughs> okay. Okay, that's fine. Un- unless they were they very specifically came up to me and asked me, "Are are you aware of any movies where supermodels eat each other?" <laughs> and something about random gender questions and then i might be like yes i am aware of that movie and no i don't think you should watch it (laughs) i I like that if someone came up to you and explicitly said ben i i've been really interested in i want to know if do you know any movies where you know it's about women in the industry getting mistreated by the men and fighting with each other you're gonna go yeah, there's this one called The Neon Demon, but apparently there's Boobies the movie. Watch that one instead. <laughs> I'm definitely going to say watch Showgirls, the one that I did not – or no, I guess one of two I didn't watch for yes, this series. Yes, So Okay, that, that's fair. That's fair, Ben. Uh, so for Cinemodities for me, I give it a definitely. I think this is just the Nicholas Winding reference style is something I just continue to associate with Cinemodities, even though it is – you know, parts of it are kind of, you know – um, what's the right word? Secondhand. Like, you know, I definitely don't think his style is wholly original. Like, there's definitely some, some Lynch aspect to it. There's definitely some Fellini aspect to it. You know, the, the abstract filmmaking is nothing new. But he, he does it in a, in a way that I find um, enjoyable. For Late Night, fucking absolutely. Like, like, put this on. Make sure there's no other light in the room. Like, crank the volume up to max. Like, sit as close to the TV as possible and just let it wash over you. Like, from the when this movie starts with the colors, with the sound, like the like the the Tangerine Dream and Kraftwerk esque like score. Oh, this is this is absolutely a late night. The ambiance alone makes it late night for me. So that was something I was gonna bring up. Actually, it might have just been the copy that we had. I pretty much had to have the volume full blast the whole time to be able to hear it at all. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I was watching it on my TV. US, like I put it on a USB drive and then plugged it into my TV. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if my TV maybe is just bad, but like I had to sit pretty close and have the volume all the way up to be able oh, to hear it. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't have to have the volume all the way up on mine. Um, it definitely was a little quiet, but I... I have had great success. This is a question I've gotten from other people as well. I don't know if you... But messing with the sound settings on your TV has done wonders for me. And, like, it's never been one has worked. It's like every time I watch some different movie, because as everybody knows in this podcast, I have multiple files from multiple sources from crazy random people. And all of them are different formats, audio codecs. And it's like I always have to find the right setting for the movie. Okay. All right. And so... 
Um, I can get on board a, with that. I could probably do a whole episode with like all the crazy nonsense of like what some TVs do to audio mixing, and it's and it's not good. There's never one setting it seems, and it annoys me. You know. Okay. I will. I'll yeah, mess with that next time. I think it was something like my copy of Black Swan. Like one of the sound settings on my TV is like clear voice, and it was like garbling. It's called like the title is clear voice, and it EQs it a certain way, and sure. like it was garbling the movie. And like oh. for some reason, like Black Swan, I could hear perfectly at like a normal volume in the video game mode on the TV, and I was just like, okay, I don't care what you call it, I just want it to work. <laughs> right on. Right on. All right, so so with those being a- answered, asked and answered, we get two. The Snacks. So I have to say, Ben, this is one of the movies that I get so enthralled with. I watch the movie more than actually thinking about Snacks. But I do okay. have some. And I think okay. one that's going to overlap for both of us. I, I didn't really describe it in my notes. I don't even think I've described it in my head. I just wrote eyeballs, eyeballs, eyeballs. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, definitely eyeballs. Uh, what's coming to mind for me is like... Uh, you know, every once in a while, uh, not every once in a while, there was some show I watched where okay. where uh, they were setting up like a haunted house and they had this bowl and the bowl was full of skinless grapes. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yep. To yeah. mimic eyeballs. Yep. Yeah. So um, skinless grapes, I guess, uh, is I what you could call them, but you could actually serve eyeballs. <laughs> but they're real eyeballs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, I think broken glass, like mirror. Like a, like we need to take oh. by mirrors and break them, okay, and then serve that. But the trick is that, like, this is going to be part of the sex room, where you, <laughs> oh, like, there's, you get oh, there's it. a sex room now, <laughs> isn't there? I don't. Uh, maybe maybe we have a sex room. I don't think it's. Have you even explicitly. explored the whole restaurant? No, that is that is true. We have not. <laughs> okay, so in the sex room that I know exists from experience. Um, <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna serve broken mirrors, and the thing is, you don't eat the broken mirror necessarily. I mean, okay. you can, but that's you don't have to. Yeah, you know, um, it's your but you cut yourself, and then you let somebody else lick your blood. Up. Oh, oh, okay, okay. I we definitely have some. I don't think we have like blood specifically. We probably do, but I know we have blood flavored popcorn. Okay. Maybe this blood, whatever doesn't get drank, we can use to flavor the pop. The blood. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. okay, so yeah, yeah. We're all about recyclability and renewability at the rest Definitely. Of the Reduce, reuse, recycle, regurgitate. Whatever. Regurgitate. <laughs> so when you yeah, said throw up the eyeball. when you said glass, that gave me a really interesting idea for just a regular restaurant. You know how in like some places I wouldn't always say necessarily the fancy places, but I think that's what the, the cliche is, that the waiter will come around with the pepper grinder and ask if you oh. want pepper. What about Sweet a glass, glass grinder? Would you like some glass on your dish, sir? And you just have, like, you know, looks like fine glass put on your food. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm on board. Um, that would add to the things that would cut up your intestines after you eat them. And we have a few right. things that already do that. Like foil. Uh, we have, like, like chip bag wrappers that people are eating and stuff like that. <laughs> so, so, so the next thing I'm thinking of is, you know, like – there's like Jaeger bombs or you got like a, like a monster, like an energy drink and, mm-hmm. and a shot of Jaeger and you're dropping it in. What if we, we, it's probably just a Jaeger bomb still. Maybe not. Maybe it's something else. Sure. But instead of the bigger cup being a cup, it's actually a swimming pool. And instead <laughs> of, instead of it being a shot glass, 
it's it's like a it's like a shot glass of El Fanning's face on it or something, and you're okay. dropping El Fanning into a pool and then drinking it. Oh, okay. Would people would the customers like dive into the pool and drink it while they're swimming around in it, or is there? Like... It doesn't have to be. A, I was not thinking like a full size pool. I'm thinking like a like a cup that ah. it's a cup size, but okay. it looks like a pool. Oh, okay, okay. I could get behind that for sure. I like that. It could also be empty, and they could just break the shot glass in the pool and then drink that. That gets the glass in there too. That's great. I'm I'm on board. So we're gonna have a broken glass motif. Yes, I, I do dig we, that. Do we want glass in the seedless grapes or the skinless grapes? <laughs> yeah, sure. It's like the garnish, you know. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah, so we got absolutely. a glass, a whole glass thing. <laughs> yes. So oh, no, I I dig that. I didn't have any glass in my other snacks. I. I, there was one thing that I, I liked. Um, we didn't. We mentioned the scene, but we didn't talk about it. Um, that when the at the very final scene, when the the um, the woman Gigi and the woman we don't know are getting ready for the photo shoot, the woman who's like, once you become twenty one in this industry, you're irrelevant. She says something like, "That comes up because she's saying like my friend is trying to get this gig, but she's too old." And she right. has like this throwaway line where she says something like. She tried. The friend tried to buy like baby baby seal fat from someone down at Venice Beach or something like that. Yeah. I keep telling her, girl, you need to retire. Right. Once you hit twenty one in this industry, you're so irrelevant. Try twenty. Yeah, sure. She won't listen. Of course she won't. No. I mean, she's so desperate. The other day, she went uptown. She was trying to buy this baby seal fat. From this random woman. <laughs> so I was just thinking, like, what could we do with baby seal fat? Like, maybe instead of, like, butter or lard in some dishes, we use baby seal fat? <laughs> that would taste good. Um, I think the, whenever I think about baby seals, I just think about how, like, they got clubbed. Like, it's that meme when baby seals get clubbed because they used to do that, like, back in the day for some reason. Yeah, so... Um... One of my favorite things is like there was it was a, a I mean I guess it still is but it was a thing for a while people were like I heart and it's like a, a heart symbol oh sure uh, I I like like uh, I club and it's like the club symbol from cards okay I club baby seals that there was, you go <laughs> that was one of my favorite things so maybe maybe it's like a a choice like if somebody orders something that we have to like use butter or fat to do some cooking be like you know what type of fat would you like we have baby seal fat today. We have lard today, you know. It's the the specialty this evening is <laughs> is the blood flavored popcorn with baby seal fat yes. and and sprinkled glass. Oh, perfect! I want that when I'm watching a movie. <laughs> it sounds great. If you want to go to the emergency room, if you want to get popular with law enforcement, <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't want that these days? <laughs> So then the only the only other stuff I had was um some of the actual food that's mentioned in the movie. There's that scene at the diner that you talked about that technically passes the Bechdel test. Yeah, the the fruit cup. Yeah, and so where um I love I do I I didn't mention it before, but I love that line when Gigi the waitress comes over and she's like, "Would you like to hear our specials?" And Gigi is very excited, like, "Yes!" And she goes, "You're not going to get any of them." And he's like, "But they work so hard to memorize them." <laughs> Jack, do you hear the specials? Sure. <sighs> You're not going to eat it. But they work so hard to memorize them. Today we have a loaded baked potato with a side of broccoli, a pan-seared halibut served with rice in a fruit cup, and a steak sandwich that comes with fries. If I don't want fries, could I substitute the fruit cup? If you just want the fruit, you'll have to order the fruit bowl. 
How about we just have three coffees and a fruit cup? That's a good, that's a good little bit. And, and they go through the specials, and then, what, Gigi has some questions, like, if I don't want the french fries, can I substitute the fruit cup? And it's like, if you want the fruit cup, you have to order it. And then she's like, th- then they're like, okay, three coffees and a fruit cup. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, like, the, the meal had nothing to do with fruit cups. Like, it had nothing to do with any kind of fruit at all. I don't remember what it was. But a fruit cup, I was like, I w- why would you want those two things together? Yeah, exactly. was the thought I had about it. Um, so I guess whatever that meal is and a fruit cup. Yeah, Together. I, I I just I just like to you know I I'm I'm imagining there's one person orders three coffees and a fruit cup. <laughs> solid, like, solid. That's just like breakfast to champions right there. <laughs> and then there's another line where I think um I think it might be in that same scene where uh, Sarah says something like Who wants sour milk when you can get fresh meat? And so oh. I was like Oh well yeah. why don't we serve some fresh meat with sour with side of sour milk? Like that sounds good. There we go. Yeah, yeah, some like uh, sushi made by dipping the meat in sour milk or something. Ooh, so we're trying to like use the the sour milk to like cure the meat in some way. Uh, maybe, okay. maybe we're just dipping it in. Maybe it's just a dipping sauce for the sushi. Like it's a beef tartare with sour milk dressing. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, that sounds so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think my last snack sure. for this movie is just an energy drink. Because you're going to need it to stay awake. <laughs> see, see that that's good. That's a you're you're tapping into a, a type of snack for the restaurant that um, we've done before on Cinemodities. There's a few movies that we've covered that either one of Zach or I hate, or we both hate. And usually the snack for that is a cyanide pill. So there's okay. a there's a few movies where you get cyanide pill. I like the energy drink. That's good to keep you through it. Because this movie, like you said, even though you didn't like it, it's it didn't not make you want to kill myself. Exactly. It just... Yeah wasn't enjoyable so you need something to get you through it absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and so no that's that's okay so i like that an energy drinker you know maybe or the, a deck of cards so you the, can play solitaire the three coffees and a fruit cup with a deck of cards oh, yeah. there you go <laughs> so okay i can get behind that it, with that being your last snack that was my last snack as well so to conclude thank you ben for coming on once again uh even though um so now now we we really have the um the, the I owe you one, because you liked the last two movies. This one this one you had some problems with. So uh, Ben will probably be back in the next few months. Definitely check him out for a later series where Ben has a little bit more control, like we alluded to at the beginning of this. We're going to be talking about muscles. <laughs> it should be good. No, I, I always like when I um, get to talk about things that I've never seen before, so that'll be good. Um, are, are we revealing the title of the series? I think we're we're too far away for that. We're not even at the end of this series. We still have one more episode and chewed up and spit out. Which which I will say to Ben, next week we're talking about a David Lynch movie. So Ben is running away right now. Ben literally just ended the call. (laughs) So with that being said, um, till next time Ben is on here. Uh, Ben, is there anything that you want to plug anywhere that anybody can find you? Um, Are you doing commissions yet? Are you drawing corpses getting molested yet? I yeah, I actually that was my my first commission before <laughs> I it was the only commission I did before I got canceled. Which artist did you have to eat to gain that power? <laughs> I'm not at liberty to discuss while okay. litigation is ongoing. Um Fair. No, I so yeah, I, I'm not doing commissions yet. Uh I mean, I guess I could I saw some commissions that were well below my skill level. So I I guess mm. I could do commissions. If people were interested in that, 
uh, yeah, you can you can find me at uh, whatever I told Rob my Instagram was last time I was sure, on. Sure, yep, I'll put that back in the show notes. Yep, are, are th- is that where you're? I haven't checked it out since you told me about it. Is that where you're posting most of your stuff, your work? Because I know you uh, do I, Facebook only sporadically, right? That's uh, that is where I'm posting most of my art. I haven't posted. I haven't actually had time to draw recently. Sure. The past two weeks or so have been have been kind of hectic. Yeah, you've been protesting. Uh, I, I get it. Yes, I have been. Speaking of which. With all this cancel cancel culture go- stuff going around, if you heard something in this episode that makes you think that I need to be canceled, good good luck convincing anybody that I was serious. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Um, so yes, right uh, I'll throw your Instagram in there. Uh, check out his artwork. Oh, um, I I'm in the in the process, and if I I will accept feedback on the idea. I'm probably not going to use it, but I'll accept it. Um, <laughs> I'm in the process of writing an app oh, that okay. you can use to to scan barcodes. Of DVDs or Blu-rays. Oh, yeah. I saw your post on Facebook about that, and I had no comment because I I do all my own organization because all my media is on files. But, but yes, if you are a, a hardcore, uh, like, uh, physical media user, that certainly seems like it could be useful. Yeah. So what it is is you can create a catalog of the media, media you own uh, by scanning the barcodes and adding them to a list. And then while you're in the store – while you're in Walmart looking at the 374 movie bin that is that is crawling with coronavirus, uh, you can scan. <laughs> when you're wading through the the 60,000 unpurchased copies of Neon Demon, <laughs> <laughs> you, you can use this app to scan these barcodes and see if you own a copy of that movie before you might buy it. Because I accidentally bought two copies of the Rundown. Uh, you oh, know, several there months you apart, go. Okay, several months apart, and that's how this idea came up. I was like, I was pretty annoyed, and my girlfriend was like, "Why don't you just make an app?" And I was like, um, "That being said, to look up UPC codes is not free, so this mm. will probably be the first app where I charge something uh, to own an unlimited version of it. So uh, you know, just be aware of that. But but you'll be able to. Um, I'm thinking. I don't know. I haven't figured out pricing options. If you have thoughts on pricing options, you can tell me. As I said, I probably won't use it, but I will be happy to read it. Um, <laughs> nice. And uh, yeah, so you know, I, as I've as I've said in the past, I'm I'm an artist, an app developer, blah blah, etc. And uh, and soon I will have I will have a link to give Rob a, for this app, and he can <laughs> you, and he can you share. You forgot it. feminism expert. <laughs> oh, that, that's right. I'm a, I'm a feminism, sociology, social psychology expert. I'm also a, a, a critical race theory expert, and uh, what else am I an expert in? What 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 topics were made up today? Because I'm probably an expert in those. Two. Mm, oh, uh, oh, geez. <laughs> in, anything that was created in the past twenty years, I probably know it. Perfect, so. perfect. Yeah, hit hit Ben up. Um, feel free to uh, contact him. However, you we give in the show notes, and yeah, check it out. It's some good stuff. And yeah, I like that. That app idea is interesting. I know some people who, um, one of my favorite stories is when I was in Pittsburgh staying with Phil once. I was like alone in his apartment because he had to go to work or something. His roommates were out. So I was like, oh, I'll watch a movie. I'll see what DVDs they have. And in searching through his DVD collection, I found four copies of Fight Club. Four. And now I don't know if he bought them by accident or he just literally wanted four different copies of Fight Club. <laughs> but hey, that's a perfect example when that app could be used. Right, yeah, so... Uh, there, there's going to be other features. I'm open. I'm open to feature ideas, but something like shareable wish lists or something like mm. that is, oh, is on the like horizon. A, like a wedding registry. Yeah, but for movies. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. And then you uh, maybe even a shareable list so people can be like, we want to borrow movies from each other 
because we don't care about coronavirus and <laughs> we want th- hard surfaces that you've touched and or spat on. Oh yeah. Um, I want to lick. So, them. you know, you know what? A, yeah, definitely going to lick whatever you hand me. Um, you know, so, so <laughs> whatever you hand me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I'm open, I'm open to ideas, to suggestions, etc. Um, you can check me out at a website that doesn't have anything hosted on it called Xanderthalapps.com. Perfect. <laughs> All if right. You go there. It, I do believe it's a blank website. So good, good. It'll it'll fill in. You know, it's a follow it. You know, it'll get bigger and better as time goes on. That's so, right. with that being said, of course, we have to know how we're going to end this episode. And of course, with our our music in reverse, I think there's no better music than the glorious opening credits music that we get for this movie. Just play that in reverse. It's probably not going to sound too different because it's so simplistic, but it'll still sound pretty awesome. Tune in next week as we continue on with uh, the final episode of Chewed Up and Spit Out. And then after that, we'll talk about what we're going to discuss in July, which is going to be good, I think. Um, Definitely uh, getting away from these uh, gender topics, so you know. Um, if you if you loved it or hated it, hit us up, of course, at uh, Cinemodities on Twitter to bother Zach, or you can contact us with longer stuff at Cinemodities at gmail dot com to tell us how much you love or hate Ben or anything of that nature. I I do want to say, I think I have an Instagram follower that I don't know who they are or how they would have heard about me other than through an episode of this podcast. Ooh, right on. So I think I have one follower from what I've done with you. Okay, the floodgates are open. Everybody start following Ben on Instagram. <laughs> and then on every artwork he uploads, comment, what are you talking about next on Cinemodities? <laughs> and this is accidentally racist. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. Somebody please make that their Instagram username, accidentally racist, and just follow Ben and only Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I'm for it.
tube in front of your face you had a wheelo before i don't know what the hell you live in like a circus land over there man the ben did office. have a wheelo before i didn't com- i was tempted to comment on it but i didn't uh, oh a wheelo yeah is... yeah i didn't know that's what it was called that's the only thing i've ever heard those called wheelo